The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and uh, I am joined. I'll let my uh, co-host, or for this episode, introduce himself. Hello, I'm I'm David. <laughs> is that is that fine to you? <laughs> yeah, I guess that worked. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's been over a year since you've been on the show, and it's funny. You know, I just had Paul from Not an Apple fan on, and I think it's been a about a year for him as well. This has never been intentional. It's just turned out that whenever it showed up to get you on, it's like, oh, look at that. It's already been a year, a pandemic, and several attempted coups since we've talked. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what's going to happen in the next year when we when we do our, our next podcast together. Like, what crazy stuff will happen? I think there's a lot of people out there right now going, well, when you look at like all the debates and arguments going on in different countries right now, things are going to Things aren't going to change. I'm like, no, I, I think, I think things are going to change. <laughs> I think, I think it's not over. I think if this year was hard to keep track of everything going on, next year, just, just buckle up. Yeah, just buckle up. Make sure you have a watch so you can remind yourself what year it is still, <laughs> because I think things are just going to keep changing rapidly. And you know, I mean, let me just ask you right out of the gate: Has this not been one of the, uh, you know, forget all of the less fun things to talk about when it comes to tech and hardware. This has been by far, I think, the most interesting year in, in years. In years. It, it's, been, it's been fascinating. A bunch of weird stuff has happened and then a bunch of very not weird stuff. And it's just all of these product launches have been, have been very interesting. It, it feels like there's actual development happening. You know, It's pretty cool. So, you know, I call this 12 years of being a PC gamer. I mean, truthfully, you know, I've been playing for like 20 years or more. I had PC, I was PC gaming before I ever owned a console. And, but I would say, you know, about 12 years ago, you know, my, I did the 10 year series two years ago, uh, about, you know, so 12 years now from this point in time is when I really got into it. You know, when I, I don't remember, when did you really get like, not just that you did PC game, when do you think you would say you were really getting into PC gaming? Like for me, like the HD 6000 series and 5000 series. Uh, I remember those eras very, very well. Like when, when do you first remember all of it? So I started getting, because um, like I come from Southern Africa. So the main way that I consumed uh, PC gaming related media was through magazines. So in 2006, mm-hmm. I started getting a, daily, a, a monthly copy of uh, PC Format, is what the magazine mm-hmm. was called. And they had all the reviews of the latest products and stuff and games and so on. And I just collected that for years until the magazine actually went out of business because everything moved to the internet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'd say about 2006 was when I really got started getting into it. Was in sixth grade. Yeah, so I'm I'm trying to remember. I mean, that was of course before the GTX 200 series. So you're looking all the way back at like what the GTX 7000 series or 7000 GTX series. It used to go after the the number. Yeah, yeah. So my my brother got a 7800 GT, 
And we yeah. were all so excited. It was like, whoa, this is such a beast of a graphics card with its 256 megs of VRAM. And um, <laughs> yeah, so that was the, in that period, I was already deeply into it. Uh, I was really excited about that stuff. Yeah, I remember at that time, I think I had, it was a, a couple of years after that, I had a, I had a, <laughs> a, and they were so bad back then, a gaming laptop, you know, mm-hmm. with like a 19-inch screen. But it was 1080p, man, if you can believe it. Oh, what? that's, that's high-end. <laughs> yeah, and the mid-range graphics card, looking back on it, I, I think it had 32 CUDA cores. Whoa. And that could run Crisis on high settings in 720p. And I would, I would just make do with it running at 30 frames because back then it looked so good that it was actually worth running at 30 frames, I thought. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. You actually got 30 FPS with that? Well, yes, but I, I usually even turned it up to Ultra and got 20. Oh, just because. That's, that's still impressive. That's like... <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I remember that was when I was debating between should I get a 3 gigahertz dual core for my laptop or a 2 gigahertz quad core. <laughs> um, both of them, of course, used like 80 watts. And, and I mean, literally melted the plastic. I had to send the PC back. <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's... I would say so since then, I mean, I think if I was to quickly recap, I mean, what? Back then, you had kind of AMD enter during... Before the 200 series, they made a splash with the HD 3000 series with the 3870. Mm. I think mm. that is comparable to the 5700 uh, 5, XT, actually, in that yeah. they didn't take the crown, but out of nowhere, AMD was almost competitive in efficiency when they hadn't been for years. And the 4000 series, I think, is somewhat comparable, comparable to RDNA 2, although yeah. prices have gone much higher. Um, and, you know, so there's this back and forth, and... I think looking back on it, though, I think 2020 is more interesting of a year to cover at least even, you know, console and PC hardware since, I I don't know, I I, I don't remember. I mean, what, we were just having GDR5 cards for a decade. Like, what has been interesting until now? I think think you could legitimately, and I'm bringing it up again for this reason, make the, is there any year you remember that, you think was more interesting, and maybe there was. I don't know. Like the, I remember the launch of the Titan, and yeah, um, I, I actually, I really like the parallels that you draw with that era of like the HD three thousand series and the HD four thousand series, because one of the things that also started happening there a lot was they because AMD's approach was like the 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 smaller GPUs that you can kind of stack up together, so that you'd mm-hmm. have like quad crossfire or the there was like the the dual GPU version of the HD 3870, which I can't remember yeah. what they called it. But I mean, was it just called 3870 X2? Yeah, yeah. I think it was just the X2. And there was a 4790, a 4890. I don't remember if that was a double card or not, though. I, I think the 48, the, there was like a 48970, and then there was like a... F- yes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, the, I think there was also a dual GPU version of that. But it was interesting that that was like the, the technology that they were not quite sure if that was going to be future-proof and we were trying to figure out if we should be really excited about the multi-GPU scaling. And it feels a little bit like ray tracing because it's kind of like... Oh, you I know, see the parallel you're making. Yeah, yeah. So it's this technology that we don't know how it's going to mature going into the future at that point. But we kind of need to base our, our buying decisions on that. And that's how the companies sold their cards. So I think 
2020 is probably more interesting to me because it's you know it's 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 now and it's it's all high end. But I, I that era was very exciting. There was so much stuff happening. Well, it's funny though. I will say this: if you're going to make that comparison, and I do remember that, and you know, I had dual six nine fifties, and okay. it actually worked really like most games. It worked. You know, of course, now we know the frame pacing wasn't the best. Looking mm. back in hindsight, no one yeah. knew about that back then. But yeah. usually, you were getting frame rates so ridiculously high that it didn't matter. If you're comparing though multi GPU to ray tracing, uh, multi GPU <laughs> didn't go well. Are you saying ray tracing is uh, is temporary? Well, I, I think the 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 only way that I that I that that comparison was meant was that at the point of deciding which product to go for, we didn't know how mature the techno how the technology was going to mature, and I feel like it's the same with ray tracing. It could go really well, but we it yeah we're we're guessing a bit. Well, since we're on that subject, I mean, I guess let, let's bring this up though, because you know the the part one of this series was kind of setting the stage. You know, late 2019, early 2020. Back then, if you wanted ray tracing, it was Turing or a hacked version or or, or like a modded version of Minecraft <laughs> yeah. to run on other AMD cards. It, uh, ray, although to be fair, they had ray tracing done in limited capacities on previous gen consoles and games. It was just never used because it it just, mm. just almost never used because it just destroyed performance. It's really only used for tech demos. Yeah. I mean, like, what was? I think we probably talked about it last year. But going into 2020, what were your thoughts on ray tracing before Ampere came out, before RDNA 2 came out, before any of of the modern cards? Um, it's still pretty similar to what it is now but at that point it was that it seems considering the technology that this is something that is going to become important one day because what's really cool about it is that you can make really advanced visual lighting scenes with not much effort so it's like a great way Mm -hmm. to reduce the budget of just getting your game to look beautiful so i think it's something that as the technology matures it's going to be exciting but at this point it's it's just not there yet um, and that was very much how I felt about it before Ampere, because it was even less there yet. Because touring just couldn't <laughs> like touring and ray tracing, it just it just doesn't work together because there just isn't enough power for it. Um, yeah, I messed around with an RTX twenty sixty and ray tracing for a bit, and I'm willing to turn down some settings. I was willing to really try to make it work. You know, I'm like I'll I'll, I'll I will entertain Nvidia's mm-hmm. argument in good faith. Yeah. You know, like I, I will get, I will hear them out. And what I found is that at high levels of ray tracing, it was still just kind of distracting. And of course, my frame rate was zero. Mm. And then even at levels of ray tracing, I could accept it. I, I found in practice, and, and the example I keep bringing up is Battlefield Five. Yeah, it wasn't as noticeable as I mm. thought it would. Look, I know it's obvious in screenshots, mm. but when you start running around. I I didn't notice it that much, actually. Like, I really didn't. And I did notice the performance hit, though. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm looking at, uh, you know, uh, Paul from Not an Apple Fan brought this up to me in a recent episode, how he thinks uh, control looks better without ray tracing, because it's like, it's just distracting how the puddles of blood turn into somehow reflective mirrors. (laughs) Like, that's not really how that works. Or how I think I just watched a a next gen console comparison, 
where they said, you know, Watch Dogs kind of looks washed out, especially on the Series S, not the X, because they're forced to run the ray trace reflections at so resolution at such re- low resolutions that everything just looks low resolution in the distance. <laughs> yeah. That it's almost not worth doing unless you only use it sparingly, mm-hmm. or you are able to do it at really high levels. So it's funny how. You know, and this is where we kind of get into some of the discussions of launches of this year. When I was, some of the info I got for Ampere was that it could have two to four, well, not two, like three to four times better, three to five times better ray tracing than Turing. One of the reasons I wanted that to be true is because that's what I thought it would take mm-hmm. for ray tracing to not be mostly a gimmick. And I think I, yeah. I think I agree with you. I'm still at the same, it's there, there are, uh, there are times when it's cool, but it, Nothing's really changed since Turing, unfortunately, I don't think. Yeah, so the, the biggest difference is because I actually recently did a video uh, looking at a 3080 and how it handles ray tracing. And if you compare it to like a 2070 Super, for example, at 1080p, the biggest difference is that th- there's still a similar loss in performance uh, with the 3080. But if you're gaming at 1080p, there's so much performance headroom with the 3080 <laughs> yeah. that you don't, you're still running at 120 frames per second, even with that 50% performance penalty or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so with games like Battlefield 5, you can actually have high refresh rate gaming with ray tracing on like Battlefield 5. But I, I really agree with Paul. Like I was actually, because I ran so many of these, um, these mm-hmm. benchmarks and stuff and looking at these games. Shadow of the Tomb Raider, the, like mm-hmm. their their like normal volumetric lighting implementation looks better to me than the ray tracing. Yes, because you know there are issues like the the way that the shadows are like traced on on her face and stuff, which there there are these weird visual glitches with the ray tracing implementation, yeah. which aren't yeah. there with volumetric lighting. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a it's still a very weird technology to me, but hopefully, which we'll is get the there. thing. So so theoretically, ray tracing could be a huge boon to indie developers, I think, mm, in five yeah. years when they don't have to spend all this time doing pre-baked lighting in every scene. For sure, yeah. Um, they can just turn on the lights and they work. But yeah. that's not what it is now. Now it is just the same as any other visual effect on your settings list in a PC game. Another thing they have to program, tweak, yeah. and bolt on. It is yeah. right now just extra work and the ways they tweak it, it just either gets too resu- low resolution or... Yeah, in Battlefield Five. In still pictures, it looks good. But when you're moving, there's tons Mm -hmm. of weird little artifacts and glitches to where you can see that they probably just shouldn't be ray tracing most of the stuff Mm because unless you're doing it super, super high levels, it's it's so distracting and and it makes the game look worse. And actually, let me say this. So do you know what the best, the game with the best lighting that I've played this year so far? No, what is it? Demon Souls. Oh, okay. No ray tracing. Oh, okay. And I showed it to my brother, and he's like, "Yeah, the candle lighting, the light in like one of the Tower of Latria when like lightning flashes in a prison. It's terrifying looking. It's so so good looking. There's no ray tracing in that game. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, can you and, can trick it real well, like with lighting. You can really you can really fake it very well. And so then you have to ask yourself, like, what are we even using it for? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I, I very much agree with the one day it's going to make it easier to make games, but today is not that day. Um, we'll just have yeah, to wait and, 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 and that's unfortunate because I think at a certain point, what, the only way you're going to get it there 
is if you have NVIDIA or AMD or Intel or <laughs> someone using an ARM architecture or Apple, whoever know, you know, whoever makes a graphics card that's going to be the best at ray tracing and actually does it in a meaningful way, they're going to have to just say, this generation, we're only increasing rasterization by 20%, but we're going to quadruple ray tracing. Mm-hmm. We're going to use half of the die for ray tracing. And until someone... And, you know, that kind of happened, I believe, with NVIDIA when they went from 2D to 3D graphics. They mm-hmm. literally had to just make the decision. Our 2D performance is now much, much worse, but we also have a 3D portion, mm-hmm. you know. And, and But it's it's going to be hard because they're just going to lose benchmarks for one year. Yeah, and and I think at this point, it's way too early to make a gamble like that. But maybe with the next generation, we'll see, considering that the consoles are starting to support it now. So it means that it's just that that's where most of the game development money goes is towards getting the games to like optimized for consoles and stuff. So I think, yeah, I, I think that'll help maybe a generation or two from now. We'll see that happen where somebody just goes, yeah. you know what, screw it. Let's just take the plunge. Let's just <laughs> go all in on ray tracing. Well, and you know, the problem before was if you did all this work for ray tracing, it's like, I mean, look at Minecraft RTX. You can't, you, the only people who can even play that are people with the newest cards from one company mm-hmm. on PC, which remember a lot of people game actually on Intel graphics too. Yeah. So like you're literally saying we're only going to be able to have a third or a half of one of the gaming markets be able to use our game. And when the consoles can support it to a certain degree, I think maybe. I think maybe you'll get to a point where you go, oh, we're not throwing away the effort because mm. they'll be able to use it a little bit too. And yeah. I guess the other thing I would say is when I look at the the games on the next-gen consoles that are just locked at 60, most games are dynamic resolution, but they're always above 1440p. Mm. You can't. I'm sorry. Yeah, when it's dynamically shifting between 1440 and 4K, depending on how much is going on on screen, you really can't tell the difference. So I think that this level of like traditional graphics performance people are okay with. I don't yeah. like it's like when you when you looked at the launch of the last generation consoles, I think right away people were like, well at least they're cheap. Uh but can we get 60 frames and 1080p locked in here please? Yeah. And I think when you look now, I can't I just you know I was looking at some of these games I've been playing around with and I'm like, I can't see 90% of pe- at least 75% of people going, when's that PS5 Pro coming out so I can game yeah. in 8K? I just don't see that <laughs> happening. So I think we're we are getting close to the time where it's like it's time to start working on other types of performance. Yes, yeah. And and even if you do as a company decide to like dedicate half of your die to a new technology that, you know, isn't necessarily going to have a huge uh, impact on the majority of gamers, that half die of normal rasterization performance is still going to be very, very good because we have so much headroom with that now um, that it may be worth doing. But yeah, again, this is, I I think, I think any of this happening is, is, is a couple generations away, potentially. Um, yeah, I think so too. I think it's at least a couple when I look at it now. Let me mm. let me get into some of these earlier warm-up reader mails. We've already talked for quite a bit without even diving yeah. into the notes. Um, Jordan Lorio writes in and says, Hey, Tom and David, just wanted to say thank you for y'all's content. It was a big part of my lockdown viewing. So let me ask that. How Now, let me see if I remember correctly. Do you live in Vancouver? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm I remembered. Vancouver. Okay. Yeah, yeah and so... How how goes the end of the world? I mean, I haven't talked to you since the world almost ended. Like, how has it been? 
Um, I'm disappointed there aren't more zombies. You know, that's kind of how I was expecting the world to end was with with Emma Stone and the guy that plays uh, yeah. that plays Facebook guy showing up and we go and go and battle <laughs> zombies. Guy. Yeah, yeah, that that didn't happen. So I'm I'm a bit disappointed. Um, but yeah, it's it's I'm I'm pretty fortunate in that I work from home and I'm a hermit. So so like I I, I do well under lockdown conditions. So I've I've been very fortunate. How, how about you? Yeah. How are you holding up? Yeah, I mean, I have to I have to agree. I it's 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 fortunate to say. You know, it's un- I would say it's unfortunate that I have to admit I've been fortunate that this has, you know, I was already working from home mm-hmm. often for my job. I had to travel a lot for my job. I had a sales job. So that was, you know, that went away <laughs> in April. Oh, but okay. then, you know, once I decided to do this full time in June, you know, it, it's been the time to do it. So mm-hmm. I've been fortunate. And it's funny how I've seen a lot of people just kind of like, I don't know, I've seen some like tech tubers or podcasters like kind of say, oh, I, I, I can't do this right now during the quarantine. And it's like, nah, man, now's the time <laughs> yeah, to yeah. put out the content. People yeah. are bored and stuck inside. And so, yeah, yeah I would say, you know, this is uh, kind of the same thing you did to Jordan. Like, I, I mean, I'm fortunate that this is my job. Mm. And uh, it is. it was not lost on me that I might want to put out extra content yeah. during a quarantine. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, so it seems like both of us were in a very lucky position for this. For, for the end of the world, like you said. Um, yeah. yeah, and I guess I would say, you know, I, I'm in Peoria Heights, Illinois. I, w- I would say this is an area where it, 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 they handled it pretty well. I don't, I don't, I never saw Vancouver on the news. It, was it okay in your city specifically? It was a little harder in other cities that some of my friends live in. Yeah. Um, so Vancouver, all, all of Canada actually was doing, was doing really well for a long time. Uh, recently there's, there's been a pretty big upturn again, um, especially in like in, well, all all over Canada, but BC's had a pretty big, um, but it seems to be okay. Everybody's just not traveling for the holidays and stuff like that to try and, to try and scale down on the second wave, but it's, it's, it's going okay. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like we're getting there, you know, and, and now that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's kind of like, all right. We'll we'll buckle down this one more time, right? Yeah, no, definitely. So Brian Steiner writes in and says, Hi, Tom and David. Also a big fan of David Does Tech stuff, Tom. But David, how did you come up with so many variations on low-end tech? Also love many of your ones. Well, so let's answer that first. So I saw, yeah, I saw some of your recent videos. You were doing the famous, what was it, GT? 710. (laughs) Yeah, versus like uh, another, versus another one again. And I saw... I think if I remember correctly, in one of your videos, you were like you were trying to do with uh, was it Timmy Joe PC? You were yes. doing a a competition for two fifty dollar. Yeah. But I think uh, one line you said that I really liked was, and of course, I'm like looking for on Craigslist for the best deals. And unlike other tech tubers, I won't lie, a lot of them have problems sometimes. <laughs> I'm not going to be. I th- did you not say something to the effect of I'm not going to be a tech tuber that? Pref- pretends this $200 PC didn't have issues or? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I specifically said it like that, but I was definitely thinking it because I always feel like when you see these challenges happen, they look so effortless. Whereas with me, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just stupid, which is definitely a possibility, but I just <laughs> attempt after attempt just fails. I'm, I'm really bad at it. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it is just me being stupid. <laughs> I mean, I can't speak to that, but what I would say is I do think it's an interesting point because like, 
I'm not an idiot. My brother's not an idiot. Our friends generally, maybe not, they don't have their own tech channels, but they, they generally know what they're doing. Mm. Um, and there's problems all the time. Yeah. And I do wonder how many of these are just not admitted, right? <laughs> like how, like, 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 because I, I was thinking the other day, like getting on to play Deep Rock Galactic with some friends. And it's just like, you know, once uh, every other time, one of our PCs freeze. Can we admit that that has been a problem for with a lot of recent uh, Windows updates? Like, let's not pretend it's all flawless. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there was also a period with like RTX Voice, for example, where it was like this really exciting technology. But I was hearing a lot of people really struggle with it, like, you know, with crashes oh, really? and, and microphone inputs not being picked up and weird like audio glitches and stuff. Um, but I guess with that kind of thing, it's quite difficult to just, because it's so anecdotal, you know, it's, it's really difficult to get like a lot of data in and then be like, oh, this is genuinely an issue. I, I, I think. I don't know if yeah. I've... Anytime you have anecdotal evidence, it's, it's, this is actually one of the hardest parts of our job mm -hmm. is knowing when something's anecdotal and when something isn't like a, a famous example or a common example that I brought up all the time is simply like the whole driver issues things mm -hmm. because I've look like I'm not kidding. I built half a dozen mining rigs. I build PCs for my friends. I have multiple laptops. I help my parents buy a laptop. I help them with their like I touch mm -hmm. dozens of PCs every year. Some of them are NVIDIA, some of them are AMD. I've never had this big AMD driver issues problem on average. Although late last fall, there were AMD driver issues for the first time in 10 years for me. Okay. And they were consistently popping up. And it's, and it's hard because half of the time dealing with anecdotal evidence, unfortunately, is just mm -hmm. fanboys on either side trying to play up yeah. how many issues there are. <laughs> I mean, it, it's really hard to tell when something's anecdotally mm -hmm. worth mentioning and when it's just a freak accident. Yeah, for sure. Or, or when it's down to, to just user error, which I think, which I think is something that I, I, I often put it down to um, for my personal in, in interactions with stuff. Uh, because I, I have driver issues with NVIDIA. I have driver issues with AMD. Yeah. I have Windows issues. Like I have a lot of technical difficulties <laughs> in, my, in, in, in my time working. Um, so it's, it's, like you said, it's really difficult to, to make that distinction between anecdotal and just this is a genuine problem that everyone's going to have. Yeah, like recently I found, actually this is kind of a funny story. So, so I have the PlayStation 5. And when I played backwards compatibility titles, I noticed a couple of them didn't have some of the people's voices in the cutscenes. Okay. <laughs> but the, here was the thing, though. I didn't care because I was playing like Call of Duty World War II was free, okay. right, for PlayStation like a couple months ago. So I still had that. And I was like, yeah, I don't really care what they're saying in the Call of Duty cutscenes, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really couldn't care less. But another game that was just free on there was Final Fantasy 15. And I was like, Oh, well, I need to know what they're saying in the yeah. cutscenes. And so then I just looked at the settings for five minutes and I noticed I had the wrong audio thing selected. Yeah. So it was sending the wrong info to the wrong audio channels because I had the wrong one selected. And I was like, I wonder how many people complaining <laughs> yeah. about last and i don't know why it wasn't in the current gen one mm. maybe it was though maybe i was just getting you know <laughs> yeah. and i wonder how many people who have like these audio issues with the next gen consoles just have the wrong speaker settings selected yeah definitely that that kind of thing is it's so difficult to take 
to take those kind of reports at, at face value because, you know, of personal experience of making those mistakes, you know, it's so easy <laughs> for that to happen. So Brian Steiner also asked, I love so many of your one-liners, David. <laughs> do you have a teleprompter or how do you, or do you come up with all of them on the spot? Uh, I don't have a teleprompter. I, I don't script my, my content. I'm way too lazy to do that. So basically how it works is I set up a camera and like an angle and then I'll take it bit by bit. So like intro, parts breakdown, you know, I'll, I'll take it part by part and then I'll just talk to the camera for like 20 minutes per section. And then I'll kind of refine it as I keep going. So I'll be like, oh, I like that joke that I made in the previous one. So let me try and have the rest of it not be as just incomprehensible and then just <laughs> stick it together until I get to a take that I like. And then I, I move on to the next bit of video. So it's you know, a, how often do you find, like, because there's something I heard recently, like in an interview with, uh, I, think, <laughs> I think I actually remember, I think it was Jason Bateman. Okay. And he goes, there's the movie you write there's the movie you shoot, and then there's the movie you edit. <laughs> yeah. The movie you edit is not necessarily what the one you wrote. You might find that it's a different movie by the time you finish it. And I've noticed that making YouTube videos too, that I thought the point of one of my videos was going to be this. Mm -hmm. And then I shoot it and it turns into something different. And then when I edit it, I'm like looking at it all after yep. it's done going, oh, this is really the story I should be telling. And then you edit it again and it's entirely different, entirely different subjects sometimes from when you started. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good quote. I really like that because it's, it's most of what makes content interesting, I think, happens in the editing process. Like that's where you can really kind of stick everything together with, like you said, you have the whole picture and you can kind of take it from there. Um, so that's why I don't really script stuff because I find that it, you, it almost always changes in the editing process. Um, so I actually often, especially lately, have like these five-page scripts okay. broken out by bullet points almost, and then like kind of like sectioned off in a rhythmic way so I know how to put emphasis on each thing. But that's because like um, I have ADHD, so my ideas sometimes feel like balloons that just pop up next to me. And if yeah. I don't grab it quick and write it down, mm -hmm. like, like anyone like would know, like my brother came here from Boston during the quarantine and uh, he knows my process now because he lived with me and he would, we would be watching a movie and then out of nowhere, I just stand up and walk away. <laughs> and he's like, what? And then he'll just see me diligently typing. And it's like, I don't want to forget this. I don't, I, I know how my brain works. I do not want to forget this idea I just had. Um, and so I would just say half of my stuff scripted, half of it isn't. Okay. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the one-liners you see us say are not as scripted as you think they were. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 definitely not. Um, but I, I think the way that you do it by like writing down all of the thoughts is, is really good because, um, yeah, I often forget things. I, I, I quote yes. incorrect figures a lot, which I then change in editing. So you'll notice yes. in a lot of the videos, yes. it'll be like, oh, it's 76%. And then it'll be like, no, it's 63 or whatever. So <laughs> yeah, it's you'll like, be like, like and, and if you like take your content seriously while you're editing, you know, you're like, cut this out. Mm -hmm. I talk too long here. Mm -hmm. And then you'll like hear yourself say a statistic and you just look at your side monitor and <laughs> Google, okay, actually, is yeah. that correct? Yeah. And most of the time it's true, but then you'll say, oh no, that's, Oh, I need to cut this whole section. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see, I don't cut it. I just put a put a blurb over it correcting myself. <laughs> so yeah, yeah that's, the, I mean, that's the lazy way to like, go about it. Or like that's when you'll see me like, and then you'll like see me talking and then as eloquently as I can try to do, you'll just see me keep talking and it'll cut to a graphic. And that's why I think this, <laughs> yeah. this, this. It's because I realized after yeah. that I need to just 
cut the last half of that paragraph and <laughs> put up a new graphic and just voice over the dub it in. Yes, no, for, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so Meritorious writes in and says, hello, David, and hello, Tom. The last two years have been very exciting for the hardware enthusiasts. And this trend, thankfully, doesn't seem to have stopped or stop anytime soon. That said, most of the time, it is very obvious what the strongest CPUs and graphics cards are. And seeing people make builds out of them is, in my opinion, rather boring, which is one of the reasons why my favorite PC parts are almost never the most, the best or the most expensive. Actually, that's why I find looking at laptops so interesting mm-hmm. because it's not about the strongest part. It's about, did they actually cool it properly? Yeah, yeah. Like integrate it well. But he, but he goes on, this is why I'd like to know which one of the parts that have come out during the last two years are your favorites intrigue you the most? For me, it was the 5700 and the 3500X as the 5700 was cheap and a strong card and fun to overclock. And I thought the 3500X being a six core that's China only was interesting. Hope you're handling the pandemic fine. So yeah, like, what and maybe with probably right with emphasis on things other people haven't talked about as much. Like what what was the most intriguing hardware releases this year for you? <laughs> I, I kind of have to say that it's been. I mean, aside from all of the the high end stuff, which has been really exciting, but I I really like looking at pre builds because, like you said, again, it's that thing where it's it's much less about the actual specs in the system but more about like what ridiculous decisions the engineers made when they put this yes. thing together. Um, so I, I had a really interesting time with like a, a new Ryzen-based Alienware pre-built that I, that I like bought and took apart. And it's just the way that they go about integrating all of the components in there. It's often really bad, but it's, 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 it's interesting. It's yeah, very, very interesting to me. Uh, so the, I, I'd say probably all of the pre-builds I've looked at. H- how about for you? Um, I mean, I would say, I mean, like, because uh, because I I don't want to give an obvious answer, but like, yeah, I mean, I, I would say I've always, like I just said, found looking at laptops interesting because, like, I have this new. It's actually the newest model I got. It's it's the HP NV15, Ooh. and it has a six core i7. But in their reviews, they found it outperformed a Dell eight core. It's competition. It outperforms eight core processors. And and it's funny because it's like, well, yeah, because they actually used a vapor chamber cooler oh, okay. and it actually can run the six cores above four gigahertz in this thin laptop at all times, pretty much. And it's like, it, it, like these throttling eight cores are a waste of time. So stuff like that, mm-hmm. I found the MX150 a couple of years ago to be mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. This, you yeah. know, 10 watt graphics card, like what an interesting idea. And I remember that was right when everyone was saying APUs are going to make NVIDIA leave laptops. And then mm-hmm. NVIDIA's like, how about a 10 watt graphics card? <laughs> yeah. You know, one that <laughs> shares the heat sink with the processor. So I don't know. Honestly, stuff like that. I've mm-hmm. always found like the Zen Plus stuff for $100 really interesting. Yeah, Because it's yeah. like, I only care about price performance. That's why I'm buying this 3600. I'm like, well, interesting. This 2600 is half the price mm-hmm. and it's 90% of the frame rate. So yeah. isn't that? Yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. Honestly, I could go on and on. The other thing is honestly the next generation consoles. I'm just mm-hmm. like, seriously, they're, they're, they're so much more interesting than last gen. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, what are the launch titles like? Because I've I've bought every P PlayStation except for oh. the PS4. And I've bought most of them on about launch day. And I always found that it takes about like six months for the console to become interesting <laughs> because like, you know, the launch titles right. are usually like some some hasty like so is is it the same with the PS5 or is it is it better this time? So so here's what I would 
here's what yeah right so i've heard i was talking again recently with paul not an apple fan you know this desperation whether it's buying scalped ps5s mm-hmm. for fifteen hundred dollars yeah. or being willing to buy a 6800 xt for eight hundred dollars because cool. aibs are overcompensating for their shipping costs right now apparently is what i'm told actually okay um like look if if money's no object if you're look, if you're some rich person in a mansion, and you're like, I don't want to bother trying to get up at two a.m. You know, when they update the stock for the PS5, I'm just going to scout, pay the scout price. Well, okay, I'm not talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but most people, it you know, you don't need to buy any console at launch. But mm. I don't think that's ever been not true. Like, has there mm. ever been any console generation where you had to get it at launch? Having said that, I think there's no way around it that this is by far the best generation at launch that I've seen in my lifetime. Okay. I mean, what other console generation could you play your last-gen games Mm -hmm. at higher resolutions and frame rates? Literally none. Yeah. Like, they never did that. Like, it was funny. I I just got Wolfenstein Youngblood to play co-op with my brother. It was like $12 for the deluxe edition, and it lets him play with me for free. So I'm like, dude, oh, let's do cool. it. <laughs> and so it has multiple performance settings. Apparently, the PS4 Pro settings where you could choose, I don't know what it is, right? Like there's a 30 FPS mode, there's a 60 FPS mode with dynamic resolution, and then there's a six, and then there's a dynamic frame rate lock it to 4K 60. Well, guess what? This is a PS5. So I'm just playing a game that kind of looks like a PS5 game now on oh. it. Has this, and I'm playing online with my brother who's using a PS4. Also, has that ever been true in almost any other console gens where you could play with last gen people online? Yeah, that's, that's, I don't think so. So, like, what I would say is that, and and, you know, and you look at like Xbox is patching Gears of War 5 for a 120 Mm -hmm. hertz mode. This has not happened before. Mm -hmm. So, what I would say is, is there any, do you need to get it right away? Do you need to get anything right away? (laughs) I mean, like, (laughs) is my answer, but this is, by far the best generation at launch that I've seen ever. And this has not been true of any other console generation. This is the most effortless transition to a new gen I've seen in my life. It's entirely silent. There's none of these bizarre bugs you saw with last gen consoles. So, but people are also much more critical now. So I just think people are far, far, far more critical of these companies. And, you know, maybe that's a good thing though. Mm. Yeah, no, I like the really critical aspect if it's if it's done tastefully, if that makes sense. So, like for example, you know, do you, do you watch Zero Punctuation? Uh, Yahtzee is like a like a game reviewer that is. No, I'm I, I, I'm not. He is vicious about everything. He is really brutal about any game, and he he breaks it down. But he does it in such an entertaining way that it doesn't. Yeah, it shows you everything that needs to be fixed with it, but it's done in a tongue-in-cheek way, which makes it more lighthearted as opposed to just like, you suck, you know? <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I, I think it depends on the approach, but yeah, I, I, I do lean towards the more critical approach, I think. Well, yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I think <laughs> there was before Ampere and RDNA 2 came out, and I was, of course, an AMD fanboy. And then once I start <laughs> getting Ampere info, now I'm an NVIDIA fanboy. And then when Ampere came out and it didn't do some things as well as I thought it would, now I'm an AM now I'm an NVIDIA hater. Yeah. But then when RDNA 2 started coming out, and I was like, you know, I don't think this is as strong as they said it is. And you know, I think we need to wait to see. Like, you know, it's like why. 
this guy hates everything. And it's like, well, I don't <laughs> think my job is just to say everything's great. Yeah. It, you know, when there's rumors, it's easy to be excited because mm-hmm. we don't know what's going to be bad yet. Yeah. And then when things <laughs> come out, it's then my job to say these things didn't turn out as well as mm-hmm. I thought they would. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I'm surprised AMD does not have an answer to DLSS yet. Even yeah. though you can argue DLSS isn't a real thing. It's like in three games, unless, you know, you would think the only games people play are Control and Death Stranding. <laughs> Based on sales numbers, I think not so much. Yeah, You know, most people are playing Fortnite and Call of Duty, but, you know, but at the same time, you know, the fact that they don't even have an answer is something to be critical of, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. Um, it, it is a bit weird that they don't have that, but I, I guess it is that kind of thing that you have to bake into games. So it's it's not... It's not that easy to do. I mean, how they have that they have that image sharpening thing, which is kind of independent of the actual game engine. So do, how how difficult would it be to create something like that where you can use a DLSS based technology that isn't dependent on game engine, but just driver? Um, well, I'm not a programmer, so I almost <laughs> yeah. just said not hard, but like I don't do any of this shit, so I'm just an idiot if I say that. I can't do it, so I shouldn't say not hard. Yeah, but. At the same time, I and I brought this up in a recent video, I looked at this digital foundry. They were doing uh, uh, backwards compatibility comparisons between the Xbox and PlayStation. And they found that in some of the checkerboarded games, it was, they said, I'm quoting them. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't played it. I have, I have uh, Sekiro on PC. I don't know how it looks on the consoles. Yeah. They said it was literally indistinguishable from the non-checkerboarded version. And a lot of people don't know this, at the very least the PS4 Pro, and I know the Xbox has this as well, has dedicated hardware to checkerboarding. Okay. Like in the silicon, they put some of the die space to do checkerboarding better than what you would normally do. And so how hard is it? I don't know, but this was done, you know, they're getting like a 40% performance boost and they say it's indistinguishable compared to, or 50% maybe compared to running native 1800p or 4K or whatever they were doing. So it, it can be done. It has been done. I have yeah, an HDMI yeah. cable that adds MSA like times two, I believe it's MLAA or MSAA to, and I got it years ago because I was like, this $50 HDMI cable, you have to plug it into a USB port to power it. Okay. And it literally has an anti-aliasing ASIC in the HDMI. And it worked. My PS3 games didn't look as jaggy. I was oh, like, that's what? awesome. That's amazing. It's not really needed anymore, but mm-hmm. I was like, so why isn't this in the HDMI port on these graphics cards? Or and I've and I had one source say that there is a decent chance. Do you know anything about variable rate shading? Uh, no, not really. It's a buzzword <laughs> uh, right now. But all it is is while they're generating a frame, they they basically scan the frame and then they they're like, you know what? From this person's perspective, you can't see these objects, uh-huh. and so they cut it out so they don't waste time rendering it. It was actually done first in Killzone 2. Oh, still Cell <laughs> processor. And then it wasn't used again until Turing. Um, but, and yeah, so uh, what I've had suggested to me is what AMD might be working on is during the culling process, they also cull pixels you wouldn't notice don't need to be there. And so that's what AMD's working on right mm-hmm. now. So it sounds like it actually might be a pretty elaborate solution that AMD's working on and one that they're going to try and make work just by default in every game, no need to program it for devs. But I've also heard that devs may actually have to do some programming in the engine so that it calls the, you know, and upscales correctly. So I think it's either checkerboarding or something having to do with variable rate shading. 
And so that's what AMD is working on. And I just wish they would just come out and say, quarter one. You know, yes. and I think that's their problem. Yeah, but I think that's difficult to do with something that like that because then, you know, like with, uh, like with Cyberpunk 2077, you like set expectations for time. And then you realize that like, oh, wait, this was actually way harder to do than I realized. So we're going to have to delay and delay and delay. And then everyone gets super mad. Um, so may- maybe that's their thinking behind it is that like, we just want to get it to not destroy the driver ecosystem when we introduce it. So let's take our time. Yeah. Well, and what I would say too is that as much as I give AMD, you know, crap for not having, and again, it's not even that they don't have it, it's that they don't even have a timeline for it is what's bothering me. As much as I give them crap for that, I think it is fair to say that DLSS is still not Mm. quite to the point where it is a huge problem yet. It's just, it's going to be one soon, I think. Mm. You know, it's only in a handful of games. I've tested it in some games. I think DLSS makes some games worse. Again, I know, guys, I know in still frames, Mm. it looks good in some of these games. But when I was running around, there was like weird shimmering on trees in some games. And it's not quite done yet. So so to be fair, AMD has time, but I'm just not sure how much time they have. And you're right. Yeah, hopefully they're just taking their time so that when they come out, they're like, it works, it works well, you know, because that's what they need. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think with the previous gen of GPUs, they've kind of, there's this worry around their driver ecosystem. And if they introduce something that breaks it, like it's, 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 people are going to be quick to get angry about it, which is, you know, rightfully so. Driver issues are really irritating. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I don't disagree with that. But yeah, that's something that I, I've seen too many times now in um, re- benchmarking reviews or even console reviews. They'll be like, my Xbox, my PlayStation had this glitch, but they say this will be patched by review day. I've noticed some of them weren't. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? No, and I'm not even talking about the console specifically, but I remember back like with the PS4, you know, like, oh, they'll fix this on review day. Some of them weren't fixed. They're, they were not fixed in the day one patch. And I think you see that with graphics cards a lot of the time too. You know, Radeon Wattman was broken in our reviews, so we won't... You know, I think it's time for reviewers to start saying it didn't work, so I'm taking mm-hmm. a point off. Like, it, like, because I've said this before, like, when I reviewed an RX 5700, I got it a few months after it was out, um, and I didn't have any problems with the drivers. It worked fine. Mm. And I said to people, you have to understand, though, this is three months after review day. If on day one reviews, they sent me a card and half the drivers, uh, half the features in the driver didn't work, I'm taking a point off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't, like, it's like, well, it's review day. I don't care. Don't send it to me until it's done. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, come on, guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting because it's it's so easy to to just oh we'll fix it later, is 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 a fairly easy stance for a company to take, you know, like oh mm-hmm. yeah it, it'll be fixed it'll be fixed when later we'll, well, we'll get they to used it. to have it fixed I think right I think they used to there was this agreement between reviewers and the big companies because most of the time it was fixed by review days but I think you're noticing okay. a lot of them now are going oh they just didn't mention it mm. oh now it isn't fixed by review <laughs> days so unless you hold them accountable. Mm. You know, what's going to stop them from just launching these products that don't work and reviewers don't say they don't work? I mean, (laughs) ideally, that's what the companies would like to happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I think if you're if you're buying a product, um, just looking at the day one reviews is is, you know, it's helpful, but there's so much evolution over even a couple of months with what drivers do to the performance of hardware and so on that look for the most recent reviews as well even if it's by you know smaller a smaller, smaller yeah. outlets yeah because 
it's more recent information. And then you can use all of it to make your decision, you know? You know, let me, uh, yeah, so let me ask you this then, like, that's actually an interesting question you could ask. You could just say, are day one reviews that useful anymore, except for people buying in the first month? I think that's, it It does become less useful as you move away from the, um, from from the launch date but it's interesting because i've heard many of the of of the bigger youtubers talk about how even way after launch day one reviews are still the ones that people reference when buying products yes. um so it's interesting to like h- how to get people to to use more recent reviews as well um and how important that really is you know to to do all right so I'm going to switch gears a little bit here back to the script we have in front of us. (laughs) Okay. I mean, of all the rumors, you know, I think I might title this episode, like, because the part one was kind of looking at setting the stage for AMD taking, becoming a bigger part of the market in 2020. Part two is looking at most of 2020. I think this is kind of just a year of insane tech rumors. Yeah. Like which one of the, and I think people forget how big these rumors were. There were big Navi rumors since, frankly, I think since like 2018. I mean, they were really since like yeah. 2019. Like for you, what were the most, like what, like, what do you remember as the most talked about rumor mill product? Um, I, I think it's, it's got to be Ampere. When it comes to just purely from the standpoint of how much interest the community had in it, um, I, I think I think Ampere was, and and it kind of happens every year, or or every like the Nvidia GPU architecture launches have a lot of hype around them. I mean, big big Navi, like you said, it's been since 2018 that that people have been talking yeah. about it. But like the the two or three months leading up to the launch of Ampere was was crazy. There was just so much information coming out and so much um, like community engagement with it as well. So I don't know if it was the one I was personally the most excited for, but I think that was mm. probably the one that had, you know, this, this huge hype around it. Um, because there was also when the, when the announcement happened, there was like that whole story became trending on YouTube, which is really rare for tech, yeah. tech-related content to get that like on the trending page, you know. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably Ampere. When I and, and I'm just looking at my, I scrolled down like my videos for the year, and I remember like it didn't matter. Like even if I had less, you know, even if like the some of the info, especially earlier in my Ampere leaks, was a little more sketchy or there were they were more vague. Like when it comes to my Intel leaks, like I've just been like, <laughs> I've just been like, here's the code name of something coming out of three years. I'll have exactly this many cores, exactly this many threads. I'll have these features. And, and it's all turned out true. Like my Intel sources, like I, I'm just telling you, this is what's coming out. But if you look at my, so I'm saying the track record mm. of my Intel info has been pretty flawless. And yet even like the Intel GPU video gets like half a third the views of something mentioning Ampere. Like it was hilarious. And that's something I noticed throughout the entire year, like talking about putting Ampere in the title. Oh boy, now you're going to just get all the clicks. It actually took a lot of restraint to Mm. not just spam Ampere content. Because if you do that, then no one's going to keep clicking on it when it pops up. Yeah, yeah. It it, it is that delicate balance that, that, that you have to hit with that kind of thing of like, doing the topic too much, but then not doing enough of it. You know, it's like, which, which, which route to go? The temptation, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but no, so I was I, I was kind of keeping because I I have a bit of a um, one of my hobbies is looking at YouTube statistics of like other channels and just of what's oh. going on in the tech space. Like I, I I follow everyone very closely on <laughs> on Social Blade, um, and it's it's you can see like with with Gamers Nexus for example, you know every like they they have like their graph like this, and then touring is launched. And then like the <laughs> graph like this, and then Ampere is launched. You know, it's this huge spike when when these these architectures pop up pop up. So it's yeah, that it generates so much interest from people. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm just I remember talking to someone who is like an editor for Adored TV, and he was talking about how he was so excited for Sapphire Rapids, which is like you know, like, like the, these eventually go into the HEDT Intel products. So this is like, you know, up to like 56 cores, stacked memory on the die coming out in 2022 from Intel, this crazy Threadripper competitor Intel supposedly has coming in two years. And the info is good. Okay. Now, I know it's good. Okay. I knew his info was good. He knows my info was good. We know that what's coming is exciting. And that's what makes it so exciting too, is I know this is 100% good info. And yet, just like he said, Adore's like, well, wait, before you post that, let me get one more Ampere video. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's not a leak, even if it's like not that new, like we got to get this out first, right? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's exciting to see if, if there's going to be a change again. <laughs> like with Turing, it was this, it was, it was such a controversial launch, which that controversy is fascinating to watch. Um, so I think that kind of spurred on the the interest in Ampere because it's like, is this is this going to be as controversial as last time? Are we are we outraged? Or are we not? And then it's like, oh, there are no GPUs in stock. Okay, we can be outraged. You know, it's like it's it's a really engaging topic, I think, for for the audience as well, um, because of how how these fastballs just like come left, right, and center with that topic. Yeah, yeah. You know, let me ask you this too about Ampere. Everyone's like, oh, is this better? Is this worse than Turing? I actually had mixed feedback from people when it launched. Um, I think you could make the argument that Turing is every bit as impressive as Ampere. Because if you actually look at it, the 3090 has the full 384-bit bus. The 2080 Ti did not. You know, And if you look at the Titan RTX and compare that to what it would be. So Titan Pascal, like if you compare those, the Titan RTX, I believe is actually like 40% stronger while using only slightly more energy. I mean, could you make the argument that Ampere really isn't any more impressive than Turing was? It's just Turing was the first one to raise prices. And I mean, I don't know. They just didn't give you anything unless you bought the 2080 Ti. I think that was the main problem with Turing. If they would have put a 10 gigabyte 2080 Ti for $700. I think people would have lost mm. their minds. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the, 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 biggest, the biggest issue with it was that price hike where it was basically like you're getting the same performance, but you're getting RT core, you know, at like the 2080 versus the 1080 Ti. It's like yeah, pr- price comparative, but all you're really getting is the RT cores, which nothing supports. Um, so I think you're right. If they if they brought a 2080 Ti out for seven hundred dollars, it would have been a game changer. Um, like they're doing with the 3080. Really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the 3080 is a really interesting graphics card though because it's so hot. It is like like I I have one in in the system here okay. that I'm that I'm and it's 
it's really, really hot for the, you know, the performance that you're getting out of it is amazing. Now, is it an AIB one, a founder's edition? It, it's an AIB one. So I got a, um, it, it is an XE3 Ultra. So it's it's one of the loser ones with like the small, <laughs> the small heatsink on it. But it, if you put it in like a, like a, a small form factor case, which is one of the reasons that I got it, it, it becomes a fire hazard, honestly. Like with the 3070, which I, which I also have one of, um, mm-hmm. in a small form factor case, you're getting like high refresh rate 1440p performance from a card that is 180 watt TDP card. So in like a small form factor system, it works. Whereas you put a 3080 in there, yeah, you're getting more performance. But because of all of that heat in there, it, it, it doesn't, yeah, it's, it, I, I kind of feel like the 3070 is more impressive to me because you're getting... 2080 Ti. It actually moved the ball forward. Yeah, like it actually improved efficiency. It actually, mm. you know, and I, I think I somewhat, and that's something I've been. <laughs> so many people have said, "Why does Tom and Dan, you know, the usual co-host, why do they <laughs> care so much about efficiency?" And it's like, I don't, I don't <laughs> actually care so much about efficiency. But this isn't a 300 watt card, mm. and I think it's worth pointing out the Founders Edition. And and I guess some of the AIB ones, but not a lot of them. The founder's edition of the 3080 is like 320 watts. A lot of the AIB ones are just 400. Yeah, yeah, you can easily hit that point. Someone was telling me um, on on my stream on Saturday that they have a 30 3080, like a for the win three version that they flashed mm-hmm. like a something to do with like the the 3090s like power tables or what I, I can't remember exactly what it was yeah, what they yeah. were explaining but yeah I heard about that, that they they released a new BIOS where you could have it have like a 480 watt TDP or something absurd yeah yeah and he it, he said it easily hits over 400 watts because it's it's just like the performance is great but it's 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 a little space heater in your in in your PC um so to me with my personal experience I, I really like the 3070 because of that that like efficiency difference um, cause it's like a 30% performance difference, but then it's like 180 watt as opposed to 300. I think it's 200 unless you've measured it though. No, no, no. I, I, I'm going off the official. Is, is it 200 that they, that NVIDIA said it I is? I think so. I'm just trying to save you from the comments section. Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to check right now. Cause I remember if reading. If only we had a way of Googling this. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I see it as 220 watts, but 220, let's be honest, okay. 180, 220. Yeah, I think this yeah. is something people don't understand though is like efficiency becomes more of an issue the higher up you get mm-hmm. or near the bottom. So if you're putting it in a laptop, that's almost all that matters. Yeah. In fact, uh, my brother has a, a, a Renoir-based laptop with a GTX 1650. Okay. But it's the one that has GDR6. Oh, It's a GDR6 okay. 1650, so you can overclock the bandwidth by 50%. And it's a 65 watt. It's just the desktop version with the full 1024 CUDA cores. And so he, we found that my laptop cools the 2060 well, but there are some 2060 laptops that are only like 10, 20% better than his overclocked 1650 because oh, of how much right. they're throttling. So, so power consumption really matters in the low, mm, yeah. <laughs> but then it also matters a lot in the high because I don't think it becomes more, it becomes less of an issue of moving the heat out of the case, the higher up you get, and yeah. more of an issue of, too bad, above 300 watts, the heat pipes are saturated. <laughs> yeah, Like, the metal is completely saturated. The difference between 180 watts, 200 watts, two, who cares, yeah, right? Yeah. But the difference between 300 and 350, it actually, as you're, as you're saying, becomes an issue. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you have a really high airflow case, it's fine. You know, with a huge cooler on it, it's okay. And then it is very impressive that the card can do what it does. But it does 
limit its use cases when it becomes when it hits 320. And I, I did Google it. It is 220. So I am now less impressed by the 3070. <laughs> I, I, I retract my early, early impressed. You're now the, a bad person. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And 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 I think that the 3070 is a loser graphics card now because of that. And that anyone 41. who bought it is a loser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a loser for owning one. Anyone else is also like it's that 40 watts makes a big difference to me now. I can see the all caps are, <laughs> I'm not a loser. You're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, it is more efficient than the 2080 Ti. Mm, yeah, yeah, it is. And its its performance is, like, unless you're gaming at 4K, it's it's all you need, really. Um, the same thing with the RX 6800, uh, which I really wanted to get my hands on, but unfortunately couldn't. Um, that that kind of tier of performance at this point is is crazy. Like, you don't, you don't really need to go to the 80 series card or the XT and stuff, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, the one thing, the, the biggest problem I have with the Ampere lineup is, at least from my reporting, from what I'm told, NVIDIA always intends to try to keep the street price above the MSRP. So this is a problem I have, right? We talked about this before we started recording, how they're selling some of their cards to miners. Mm, yeah. Anytime price, you know, supply starts to meet demand, they're like, oh, it's meeting demand. Send them to miners so the price stays yeah. high. That, that's, that's, what I, I, that's truthfully what I believe is going on. Um, and... So, but then really the 3070 is a $600 card. Go on Newegg, you know, it's it's not a 500. I know some people got it for 500, but I really just think it would have been better if NVIDIA just said, you know what? The 3070 starts at 600, but it has 16 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah, You know what? The 3080 starts at 750 or 800, but it comes with 20 gigabytes. Yeah. You know, just so everyone knows, uh, I'm I'm... I've I've seen the breakdowns from AIBs of the bill material, so what each component costs. Uh, GDR6 is like five to eight dollars per gigabyte, guys. Oh. <laughs> so if they made an eight hundred dollar twenty gigabyte thirty eighty as the standard, they'd actually be making a higher, more margins than now if they ever sold it at seven hundred. So I, I just wish they would have done that. And I think that's where there's this though. That that's my only I think 3070 is more okay. That that's my problem though mm-hmm. is like when you see them start selling for eight hundred dollars yeah, yeah, yeah. and you go now it has less RAM than the 1080 Ti, which was eleven gigabytes three almost four years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the only reason you're impressed by 10 gigabytes is the 2080 had eight. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And that's and that's the thing that it's it's at this point, considering that there's no availability of any of these products, it's actually really difficult to be impressed by them. Because I agree. It, you you don't know where they stand yet, actually. Um so it and and I think that's why again the community seems to be pretty just over it. With when it comes to these these products now, because any kind of opinion on it is 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 almost speculative, just because of how they're not available. Like you 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 don't know what they're actually going to be like gonna gonna cost once the market settles down. You know. Yeah, and it, and it's like and, it, and you see people attacking Gamers Nexus or or, or Hardware Unboxed in the comments, just like, oh, "How dare you review these when I can't <laughs> buy one?" And it's like, guys, they didn't buy all of them. I didn't <laughs> buy all of them. I don't know what to tell you, man. You know, and and, it, and it's like, and again, and it's worth emphasizing that AMD waited to start manufacturing RDNA two until kind of the last minute, so no leaks got out. Okay. And well, so then what happens if you manufacture these cards in October, they're not ready to ship until the beginning of November. 
It takes six weeks to ship things by boat. Mm. So basically, all AIBs had to decide what they wanted to do. Not only did they have to pay for air shipping, they had to pay for expensive air shipping, and they're competing mm. with Apple, Sony, <laughs> and Microsoft, yeah. who are also trying to ship things. Mm. Guys, Apple has a lot more money than uh, Asus. <laughs> they will pay for it. Yeah, yeah. Or like, no one can compete with Apple when it comes to just like cash reserves yeah. and 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 yeah. They're, they're, they're There's scary. only so many flights, right? Yeah. And so uh, a large part of the AI, a large part of the spotty availability, like, and, and it's like people just attack me. I'm not lying. I saw in California in some warehouses, tons of AIB 6800 XTs. And then you look in Europe, very few mm. delivered, very few, you know, like some countries seem to have gotten it. You know, I know some people that got one, but mm. it's not, it's not like in the US. It yeah. certainly isn't. And, and it's because they're again, right? They're competing with Apple. There's only so many flights, and so I guess I guess what I'm saying is, uh, <laughs> it's up to you if you <laughs> want to spend eight hundred dollars. I I personally think that Ampere will usually be above MSRP, mm-hmm. but there is actual reasons for it, the cost of AMD graphics cards to come down in the next few months. Everyone's like Sony can. Sw- Sony's were like $100 billion. They can just swallow that cost and <laughs> yeah. ship the PS5. Go, you know, like Apple dwarfs Sony and yeah. Sony dwarfs these AIBs. Yeah. So it is what it is. They're being outbid. Mm. It, it, it'll be... Yeah, I mean, with every single like PlayStation launch, there's always been a thing of like they, they prioritize getting a low price and just like eating a bunch of the expense of the console. Like I think for the PS3... They, 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 it was <laughs> yes. like they were they were losing half basically on 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 the sales of the of of the PS3 to get it. Cost, it cost eight hundred dollars to make a PS3. Yeah, because of that crazy eight core that they had in there and stuff. So it was yeah. it's well, on the hard drive. Remember when hard drives? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember I bought a. I just remember. I think in two thousand eight, I bought a three twenty gigabyte hard drive for. I think it was two hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so those sixty gigabytes, I believe, cost them like hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, like a like a load of money. At least, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's and because it's it's they make the money on the games, you know. That's kind of where it because yeah. So I I, I think it's it's a really difficult person or company to compete with. You're right. Sony is is vicious. <laughs> well, or Microsoft or Apple, yeah. like they will pay for yeah. it. And I've heard, by the way, that by the way, guys, I just want to be clear. I've heard most of the shipping that was bought up by actually Apple. Okay. <laughs> that it's mostly Apple <laughs> that's paying to do this. And actually, I do want to be clear though. It costs about four fifty to make a PS five. So if you buy the okay. disc version, Sony's pretty happy compared to previous trends. They are selling the digital one at a loss though. Okay, that's interesting. That's that's much closer to to the like cost that it that it that it usually has been for previous generations, I think. Although I don't know about the PS4. I, I don't know how, how expensive. That, that one was. they made like a ten dollar profit. Oh wow, launch, okay. Ten bucks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They're used they usually get pretty close. Well, and again, and it's like, so actually they're making a bigger profit on the disc version, which I believe 75% of them being manufactured right now are the disc version. Okay. So they're happy to sell them actually right now. That's why they'll pay for the extra <laughs> yeah. shipping because they're actually not losing the money. Um, having said that, you know, they could have charged less, but, you know, and I, I, I've always said that I really think that people need to stop sleeping on the fact that the prices of PC gaming components affects the consoles as well, though. Like that when you, the PS4 never got a price drop, like, like basically. Mm, yeah, yeah. And it's because it was competing during a mining boom. Yeah, it, it doesn't need to be cheaper because 
like the PC alternative is so much more expensive. Yeah. So I guess uh, outside of, we did had quite a bit of Ampere discussion there. I mean, like I, I, I'm looking at like rumors here. I, I really feel like most of the Zen 3 rumors were actually last year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, and it's like, you know, I've had people in reader mails ask me what months, a few months ago, like a month before Zen 3 was like officially unveiled. Mm. They were like, why aren't you talking about Zen 3? And I'm like, well, I think we knew what it was a few months ago. It's 20% better and it will win. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. I mean, it, but like, has Zen 3 impressed you? Do you have anything to say about Zen 3 or these other releases? So I, um, I, I was, I managed to get my hands on a 5600X was the, mm-hmm. so, and it is, Pretty crazy just seeing the single core performance from an AMD CPU compared to like an Intel one because Intel's lost its asterisk. Like it, it used to be like, okay, if you care only about gaming and like straight line mm-hmm. speed, basically, get, get the Intel alternative if you want high frame rates. But CSGO, you can get 677 <laughs> frames per second average on an AMD CPU. Which is just so crazy fast. A $300 one, too. It, it's not like this is some $1,000 king of the CPUs. It, exactly. So it's, it's, I, I've been really impressed with it because also one of the ways, one of the, the very uh, subjective ways that I kind of compare components is the desktop user experience on Windows. How snappy the mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. applications launching and that kind of thing. I usually don't mention it in videos because I feel like it is so subjective. Like I, I can't quantify it. But that that Ryzen five based system is for the first time since I've been building so many PCs, genuinely faster than an Intel based system when it comes to like just how quickly everything responds. It's so snappy, and I found that really impressive. Um, so I, I I think Zen three is awesome. So is that what you're using right now? Then you have the 5600X in your system or what do you use? No, so the 5600X, I do videos and stuff on. So I I don't have it in my main system. I actually have a 10850K in my... I was waiting for it. I'm like, he's going to say a 10 core. Yeah, yeah. But (laughs) So so the main reason I have that is I I used to have a a 3700X in my editing system. Um, but then I like NZXT sent me some Z490 motherboards, like they they launched. Uh-huh. A, so I needed to get a CPU to to try like to test this motherboard with. And the only CPU that made sense to me price wise in the Intel lineup in Canada at the time of buying the CPU was mm-hmm. the 10850K, because you could get it for less than. Like it, it was like the equivalent of like four hundred dollars, but it was actually cheaper than like a thirty nine hundred X and like a, a bunch of other options. So I was like, mm-hmm. I have to get an Intel CPU. So why not go with this one? And it's not as snappy as the <laughs> as the as the Zen three <laughs> CPU. I can tell you that now. Um, it's it's Zen three is really impressive. Yeah, and so it's like you know a lot of so then talking about that, uh, there's a lot of people that are like, well, should I just wait for Zen 2 to get cheaper or whatever. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. From what I'm hearing, Zen 3 sounds like... I, most people probably have a decent... I mean, look, Zen, Zen 1 ushered in mm. more than enough threads yeah. for reasonable prices years ago. Yeah. Most people listening to this by now probably have a desktop with at least six cores yeah. because thank you, AMD, you know. Yeah. So you probably don't need to rush out. I think I would just wait for Zen 3 at this point because you're you're finally not compromising unless, again, Zen 2 gets to, you know, 
those old Zen Plus prices of like one fifty dollars for yeah. a thirty seven hundred X. Then I suppose maybe. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if that happens again, that'll be really good because the thing is, like, I I think in benchmarks, it it doesn't quite come across how much or how different a system feels with a Zen three CPU in it as opposed to a Zen two. Because you know the the performance benchmark differences are you know they're impressive, yeah. but it's not like oh I, I, it's it's not life changing, but there is something about the subjective user experience which I've found a genuine step up from the previous generation, and that hasn't felt like it's happened in a while to me. Well, it's the holiday season, and you know what that means: lots of travel. For this holiday season, and hopefully for a more open 2021, I bought a studio laptop for mobile editing. And of course, well, it didn't come with an open license of Microsoft Office. And those can be very expensive, especially for the professional version. But luckily, I was able to get Microsoft Office Professional for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to user center and then my purchase orders to get the code just use this code with a normal download of windows 10 professional from microsoft's website all right links in the description um are, are you finding that's becoming more and more true of all product releases because this is something that i'm starting to come and i've had a couple reader mails ask me about this um like is it time we start looking at things more subjectively, right? When we review things, like, because I, I found like even messing around with the RX fifty seven hundred versus a Vega sixty four, I was like, you know, there's something <clears throat> in some of these games. It's not as fast. In some of them, it's faster. But in some of these games where it performs worse than my Radeon seven, it actually kind of it it, it is slower. It feels mm. slower. But it doesn't feel as much slower as it is. Like I've noticed in a lot of recent gaming architectures, the frame pacing is just, mm. oh my God, it's so much better than... If anyone, like the 7970 was great yeah. <laughs> when I had it. I'm <laughs> telling you, if you pull one of those out, the frame pacing, you'll notice it now. Mm. You will. Yeah. Um, so g getting to the point of, of introducing subjectivity into reviews, I think it's really difficult because mm -hmm. it is so just your personal opinion of how much of a difference there is. Whereas actual quantifiable results are the only thing that you can actually back up properly because we're, we're human beings. And every time I do a blind test trying to A-B anything, whether it's uh, like headphones or speakers or PC systems, it's so difficult to tell the difference because you think, <laughs> oh, this is so obvious. And you move over to it's like, oh, wait, this feels this and yeah so i i think it's it's a very difficult line to cross into the whole subjective thing because yeah you can't prove your experience it could just be down to you your perceptions being flawed but your your um comment about like the frame pacing differences and how these systems feel uh when it comes to gpu performance something like an rx 5700 at 1440p mm is going to give you a gaming experience very similar to a much higher-end GPU. Because 
at a point, it's difficult to notice those little differences. Whereas going from like a GTX 1050 Ti to an RX 5700 is mind-blowing. It's like, this is so <laughs> yeah. obviously different, you know? Um, so... Yeah, I actually forgot what the point was. I was trying to, I was trying to get to that. Well, let, well, I'll add on to this. So you asked me about the console before. The thing that feels the most next-gen about a next-gen console right now okay. is that locked 60 frames. Mm. And I don't know if you've looked at any of the comparisons on Digital Foundry. It's actually... Almost, it, it, we should expect this by now, but... It's, it's, I'm te- like, they showed, and, and I felt it when I played these games. They showed the Demon Souls frame time graph. Okay. Locked 60. Oh, what? Locked. No dips, no matter what's happening. And the same with, like, it, uh, at least the PS5 version of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It has dynamic resolution and it seems to work. And it's always between, it's usually around 1800p, okay. which is good enough, yeah. we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> Close enough to 4K, yeah. I think. And it's just, no dips, pretty much. Just 60. Constantly. Excellent frame pacing. I That's what feels the most next-gen about these consoles, is just the utterly locked 60. And the f- resolutions are usually above 1440p. And again, like I've said, they have cutouts in the silicon. They actually have die space in the silicon used for adding like some kind of TAA interpolated upscaling to 4K. It's not the same as how most desktops handle it. It looks fine, guy. That's what feels next gen is to the point where I saw watchdogs as 30 frames per second. And I'm like, well, guess who's not buying that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's like, it's like I think this is going to be a rude awakening for a lot of developers this gen, where if their games can't hold 60 on PC as well, mm. any piece, like if you look at watchdogs benchmarks on PC, it's at 30 frames on the consoles. Guess what? It also seems to not run that well on PC. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like then get out of here because mm. that is obviously noticeable that is the most noticeable thing ever yeah uh and it's almost jarring yeah playing the ps5 and it feels like i'm playing a high-end desktop locked at 60 oh that's awesome like and it's and i didn't have to download anything you just put the disc in (laughs) and it's locked 60 and wolfenstein i'm like okay that's so weird. Like it's yeah, it's it's to the point where I'm like, it's it's funny how fast this flipped. Where I'm like, well, sometimes 30 frames is okay. To where I'm going, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, <Get> the f- <laughs> I mean, get out of here. Get uh, get out of here. Like this is last gen stuff over here. Um, let, uh, let me let me see. I'm trying to look at other things here. I don't know how much you want to talk about all of these. Like, did you like what did, what did you think about? Um, I think we covered. Well, what did you, yeah? What did you think about Renoir? Like, did you have any big thoughts on that or? Well, I, I, I really love like, uh, APU based systems. So with the, mm. like, um, well, it's, 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 yeah. So with the, the, the laptop aspect, like, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, but the 40, like the 4700 G or yeah, 4700 G and those like APUs, yeah. you, you don't really see them. Like I, you know, you have to kind of like buy because they're they're mostly for OEMs, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's. I was a bit disappointed that you can't in this that it wasn't like a replacement for like the thirty four hundred G and stuff, where it's like the consumer APUs that you can get your hands on. Um, but with I can speak to that a little bit actually. Okay, yeah, yeah, go, go for it. So so. I think what I always said before Renoir came out and a lot of broken silicons as I was talking over the rumors with my brother, I was like, you know, I'm not sure where you put this in the lineup because they've already, now we have Zen 3 out, so it's different now. But 
remember Renoir came out during Zen too. So what do you call it? Mm. Do you call it a 3600G? Do you call it? And it turns out they just called it the 4000 series and then Zen 3 was the 5000 series. But so there was the whole segmentation thing when they were already selling, right? They were already selling Zen plus APUs in the 3000 series. Additionally, Renoir only has eight PCIe lanes. Oh, okay, right? yeah. So, the, and it's PCIe 3.0. Mm. So, pairing it with it, so I think they thought it was true. I think they truly see it as only really being four OEM systems. My understanding is that this will be updated with either what I've heard referenced by a couple people uh, behind closed doors is, and I put quotations up, Big Renoir. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's something that's been referred to as Big Renoir, which, as far as I can tell, is just maybe 12 compute units and enough PCIe lanes. But also, I think like with some of these other ones coming out, whether it's Cezanne, that they might be adding PCIe 4.0 and enough PCIe lanes so that they can have a platform parity with what they're selling on desktop. And they didn't want to confuse consumers. So I think that's why they did it. And also, by the way, AMD's having trouble making enough Renoir chips. Just so so they probably are like, we're never going to put this on Newegg because we can't even make (laughs) enough of them for laptops. Oh, okay. That's that, that's an interesting because I was I was quite disappointed that it wasn't a like yeah an, an update to and I do agree yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm disappointed as well yeah because those those APUs are are awesome I've I've done so many builds with them and they're, they're just such a nice way to build a system that you can really take advantage of the like future upgradability of the AM4 platform you know um, from like a more budget end. But I think the laptop, like the laptop versions of it, it's, it's also so weird to see because, again, Intel on the desktop platform had the whole gaming asterisk. And they're also like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, but on laptops, that's like, you know, their laptop architecture is the one that's, that's really good. But now with, mm-hmm. with Renoir, they're also just like cheaper CPUs, lower power consumption, and they just destroy the Intel alternatives. And it's... It it almost feels like an alternate reality seeing it, and it's so ex- it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's really awesome. Yeah, it's almost like what else is there to say? It's better. Yeah, it's, everything. Yeah, it's just better. Um, so that's that's pretty. Because cool. I expected Renoir to like be more efficient. When I heard it had eight cores, I was like, okay. So I expect if they're really going to put eight cores into a fifteen watt APU for laptops. It'll probably just clock lower than the Intel ones. And it's like, no, it actually clocks higher. (laughs) Like it actually wins at absolutely (laughs) everything. In fact, because it's a monolithic design instead of chiplets, it seems to have slightly higher IPC than desktop Zen 2. Like so it's just it's just better than everything. It's better at everything. Yeah, I don't I don't know what else there was really to say, except Mm. when Renoir came out. And and from what I've heard, Intel did not expect it to be that good. They thought it would be clocked 20% lower. And and I think Renoir was I've heard like Intel people go this is the last time we underestimate AMD when they say they're okay. going to deliver something it's 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 exactly what they say they're going to deliver. That's that's really awesome. Yeah, I, I think it was a bit of a rude awakening because I think they felt that you know when it comes to the desktop market, which is such an important one actually for the chip manufacturers to succeed at, mm-hmm. because that's where most people that's like what most consumers buy is is laptops. So yeah, I think they <laughs> I think they're going to have to make up some some form of you're gonna have to do something because well you know and i talked about this in the previous part of this series they've got tiger like h coming so an eight core tiger like and i think if that launches before amd saison it will it'll be the best gaming you know laptop cpu of higher ipc than renoir 
It'll pro- it might even clock slightly higher. But, you know, Saison's coming, <laughs> I think, in quarter one, and that's a Zen 3 APU. So we'll see. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, though, what, what's so exciting is how laptops just don't suck anymore. Like, yeah. Can I be honest? Like, they're yeah. just all good. Yeah. Laptops really did suck. Like, it is, a, it is a good way to put it. Like, a lot. Yeah. Like, really badly. But now, even with the higher end gaming versions, like, the GPUs in them are also, they're, they're good GPUs. They're not like super mm-hmm. cut down versions anymore. Um, so yeah, you're right. Laptops really don't suck anymore. Uh, I, I've got okay, this, you know, I'm holding my NV15 that I got for mobile editing because I'm starting to travel a decent amount again. And I, you know, I edited a video recently on it. It's not as smooth as my 3950X Radeon <laughs> 7 system. No, it is not. <laughs> but... There's nothing, I, I'll tell you, it's a lot better than my last netbook where it was <laughs> like, I, like a complex video. Get, no, it's just not happening. Whereas there's literally, I can make the same video on this mm-hmm. that I make on my desktop. And I booted up like Unigine Superposition. And I ran it in the 4K benchmark. It's getting like 40 frames a second. Oh. That's what's so funny too, right? So if I have a Radeon 7, is kind of almost double the performance or it's, it's almost exactly double the performance of a 2060 max Q. It's like whatever I'm playing at 120 Hertz at home, I can just play with the same settings on my laptop <laughs> at 60 Hertz and a lot of them in 4k on my laptop. The 2060 <laughs> isn't weak. It's close to a Vega 56. There yeah. are plenty of games yeah. where with the right settings, you can play at 4k 60 on a laptop. And I'm just like, if this <laughs> yeah. is the new status quo, I'm in. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Um, I, I recently did a video on a, on a, I think it's, it was a six year old razor blade. So the 4k, oh, yeah. the 4k blade and it held up Okay, but it was still like, it was really that thing of like 4K in a gaming laptop doesn't make any sense back then. But now, you know, it's it's fine. It's not an issue. It, I can play Battlefield 5 and 4K at like medium settings or something and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like that's so ridiculous to me. <laughs> um, all right, so that's Renoir. I mean, it, I guess, I guess, so you already touched on that you have Comet Lake. Do you have really anything to add about Comet Lake? It kind of, I don't know. Like, what what did you think about Comet Lake when it came out? It was it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. It was because it's Intel just does what <laughs> you know they they maybe staple a couple of cores on there and then you know you get like okay. Although I I do I think that the move that they did by adding uh, uh, hyper threading to the i fives and the i sevens and stuff, I think they should have done that with the last generation. So if they couldn't agree more, yeah. If they <laughs> if they just didn't do the whole i nine thing, which I think was stupid. If they just had the i seven, couldn't and, agree more. Yeah. If they just had the nine ninety seven hundred K be an eight core sixteen thread CPU for the same cost that they sold it at, and then have a six thread six core twelve thread i five, and if they did that, it they would have competed much better back then. But now it's it's mm-hmm. it's too little, too late. Uh, they're, they're... It was a very. Right, they were thinking very short term. Well, mm. My big, my big video at the end of last year, the end of November, the last one I put in that was tons of research was called Core i9 Branding: The Death of Intel's Prestige, oh, yeah, and it was like I, I was like, why mm. are you calling this an i? You can't call your eight core. 9900K and i9, and then call your 20, 18, and now there's a 22 core, I believe. 
you cannot call those I-9s too. So what? It's like, what? It'd be, it'd be like if we were calling, it would, no, it would literally be like if AMD was calling the 3700X an R9. Yeah. Like you yeah. can't have half of your lineup be the top branding. <laughs> and the, it shouldn't have been the i7-8700K. It should have been the i5-8700K. And they're just like, i7 starts at HEDT. We'll have the i7-9900K out soon. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you really think about it, but it's because they consistently thought this AMD problem mm. is going to go away once we add two more cores. <laughs> and it just has never gone away. And yeah. I'm here to tell you guys, Zen 4 is going to have at least 20 cores. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the problem is not going away, guys. Yeah, and they also have a, they have a, a platform issue as well. Because the thing is, like, if you take the CPU prices into account, like, yes, they kind of line up, I guess, to the AMD alternative. Mm -hmm. But then you factor into the account into account the fact that you can get really cheap, good motherboards for the for the AM4 platform. Whereas mm -hmm. with with Intel, you you just you can't do that. You have to get a Z490 board to like get the most out of these CPUs with like the the, the K variants or whatever. And it just it, it it makes the whole PC much more expensive than it would be with like an AMD alternative. Um, so I think yeah, there's, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, one of my biggest, one of my big videos at the beginning of 2019 is I couldn't believe how many videos were popping up. 2700X, 9900K showdown. Mm. I'm like, one is a $300 CPU that comes with a cooler <laughs> yeah. versus a $500 plus CPU that you have to buy an expensive liquid cooler. Mm -hmm. The fact that these are even being compared means things aren't looking good for Intel. Like this <laughs> means, this is AMD's $300 eight core. Yeah. What's going to happen when they have $600 mainstream CPUs? <laughs> like, and, and now we know. Yeah, and that's what's yeah. so interesting to look at 2020 is all of these points that were made, all of these things people brought up. It's all, it's all come mm. to fruition. And now, we're just, and now we're just like, well, I guess we were right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess AMD's in charge now. Yeah. See you in three years, guys, because <laughs> I don't know what else to say about Intel right now. Yeah, yeah. I think the only, the only people that were wrong about what was happening with Intel was Intel. <laughs> I think they were the only ones that didn't see it coming, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> Brandon B writes in and he says, what a year of competition it has been. Zen 2 versus Intel was fun. It was my first AMD CPU in a decade that I bought. But Zen 3 really provides folks with great competing CPU options. RDNA 1 was good and has aged well against Turing, but now we have RDNA 2 and Ampere competing in the same space. And I guess that's great to see. However, there is unfortunate competition and availability right now, but still... Competition amongst the great companies is great, and we are in the midst of great competition. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's so frustrating because in any normal year, we would simply be seeing, saying there's never been greater competition. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everyone's being challenged at all market segments, in all markets. But the it's like there's this pesky, you know, in, the, in part one of this, someone said, I've noticed that everything's just more expensive this fall, and that even things like the 3600X, started getting more expensive since April. Why do you think that is? Oh, why did things get more expensive since April? <laughs> it's un it's just unfortunate that yeah. we live in this year where it's it the, the excitement has kind of been, you know, raining on the parade by. And again, I'm complaining. It's such a trifling thing to worry about during a pandemic. It, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right? And I think people need to put that in perspective though that this will pass. Mm. That this was an exciting year and that yelling in all caps, mm -hmm. look, if you don't think it's worth the money, don't buy it, but prices will get better next year. I think there's no doubt. It, it, it'll be interesting to see, to see what happens because um, 
You know, like at, at the moment, if you're shopping for, for PC components at any price point, regardless of if it's new or old components, there's just so little stock. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how long it's going to take into next year for everything to start becoming available again, uh, mm-hmm. even when it comes to stuff like power supplies and whatever. Um, yeah, hopefully it doesn't take too long. Hopefully it's, it's not a whole huge drought. Well, yeah, and I guess <laughs> the people that I would feel bad for are specifically the people that haven't built their PC yet That's true, and we're yeah. hoping things would get mm-hmm. better. But it's not because they can't buy an $800 3080 mm. or 6800 XT. Mm. It's because they can't buy anything. They can't buy anything, <laughs> like, yeah. You, you go to, like people, like I, my my video I had come out last week, a cold gaming winter, where I was like, what would I, I'm like, I guess what I would recommend is a used 1070 for 200, but some of those are getting closer to 300. And I'm like, don't buy that. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I guess get a, 5500 XT for 180, which when I'm recommending a 5500 XT, that's when you know things are bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, because that was never a particularly interesting graphics card. Mm, yeah, but it 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 plays it plays games. You know, maybe, maybe we should all go out and buy GTX 1650s because they are so abundant because they're in every single pre-built. So if you and you can game at 1080p with a 1650, you know, so. If if you don't have a system in them at, at at the moment, maybe getting like a like an interim system with something like that in it, you know, you can you can. Sp- <laughs> I know I know the sixteen fifty. I'm has- just looking on eBay to see what these cost now too, because for all we know, they're yeah they're like one fifty. Yeah, so it's That's like at a certain lot. point you just go. Maybe you don't spend eight hundred dollars right now, and mm. and I think if you're considering spending eight hundred dollars, it shouldn't be hard. It should be like yeah, I've got the money mm-hmm. to spend that. Anyone not sure about if they should be spending, I mean, then don't. You're going to play the same games, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's you know we we all we all feel differently about stuff, and it is I, I I do get that that part of the argument as well that like it is it is frustrating um, when you've saved up for like two years and then waiting for this hardware and it doesn't come. You know you don't you don't get access to it. Like it's it is frustrating. Yeah. Zane Mukert writes in and says, Hi, Tom. I was making a parts list for my PC, and I'm going to build with Navi 22 comes out. And I noticed that there's almost no price difference between a 2-terabyte SSD and two 1-terabyte SSDs, considering most of the recent motherboards have RAID controllers. I feel like maybe it'd be a better idea to put two 1-terabyte SSDs in RAID 0 because games will start to optimize for faster storage. And I'm not really worried about the durability issue. Um, I know you said fast storage isn't necessary yet, but if it's the same price, is there something I'm missing? Why aren't more people doing this? I mean, what would you say? This is I. Um, you showed me this question before, and I was I was really interested by that. I was like, this is actually mm-hmm. this, Zane. This is a really good question. Um, my my reason for why I wouldn't do that is because motherboards have quite limited M.2 slots. And um, yeah, having the option, point. yeah, having having the option to drop more storage in later down the line is something that to me is important. But personally, if you feel like you're not going to use more than the two terabyte that you can get with these two single terabyte drives in RAID Zero, that's a really interesting option. Um, but then again, it's not going to make that much of a real world performance difference depending on what the drives are that you put in there. 
like mm-hmm. a single M.2 drive. You make sure it's fast enough. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, an NVMe drive is already way faster than, you know, for like game load times and stuff like that. It's 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 already barely, barely noticeably faster than just this, like a SATA drive. So like mm-hmm. a SATA SSD. Um, so unless you're using something that has like really crazy storage bandwidth requirements, I'd rather have the option for future upgradability than the the extra speed. Yeah, I guess I'd say I, I just wouldn't worry about the durability thing that much. Mm-hmm. Just get a brand. Just get it. Just make sure it doesn't have one star. You know, yeah. make sure that they're reliable drives. Mm-hmm. In 2016, I was deciding. You know, do I go with NVMe? Do I go with SATA? And I found two PNY one terabytes. So I guess they're nine sixty gigabytes technically. Okay. And they were they were really cheap at the time. They were like one. T- it was twenty sixteen. It's like one seventy, one eighty for one terabyte. And I'm like, so I can get two of these, or I can spend you know whatever three fifty on an NVMe drive. That's the same storage space. Mm-hmm. And I just put them in RAID, and you know then you're getting over like you get like eleven hundred megabytes mm-hmm. per second. You know back in twenty sixteen, I certainly most games do not make any use of that. They <laughs> yeah. still don't. Yeah. Um, and I'm still using them. They're in a new system, and they're still in RAID, and <laughs> they work fine. And but now I do have a PCIe four point um, one terabyte. But that's because I got that PCIe four point drive for one fifty last year. Yeah. Just tells you how much more expensive things are. Yeah. By the way, yeah. um, granted, it was a great deal back then too. So I did get a good deal. But like you know, I think it just depends if. And the reason I got that wasn't even for game loads. It's because I might be running a game while while moving files, mm-hmm. and when I move multiple files at once, it it fully saturates the 4.0 NVMe drive pretty quickly, actually. So I think it just comes down to: Are you going to need mm-hmm. that extra speed right now? If not, I don't know. Like I could have gotten a 500 gigabyte 4.0 for less money and used that as the boot drive. But I decided to go with one terabyte, just like you said, so that I had that free NVMe 4.0 mm. slot for the future. Yeah. So I think you just got to decide. But also be honest with yourself. Are you actually going to upgrade storage mm. in the future? That, that's Two terabytes true, yeah. is a lot. It, it is a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you play if you play COD, then yeah, you're probably going to need a, <laughs> a bigger SSD. Because what is it? It's like 280 gig or whatever for, for, for Call of Duty at the moment. Um, but yeah, no, I... That's a good point. Like, are you really, are you really going to upgrade it? Um, I yeah, and, I, and I, I would suspect that like Zen 4 systems or whatever you upgrade to, Zen 6 systems, will have more NVMe slots. Mm. Yeah. Like, I, I can't imagine them having many SATA slots in the future. Like, it's almost starting to become a little perplexing to me that we don't have something just outright replacing SATA or mm. something. Because if you really think about it, SATA's like, a lot worse of an interface. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not just slower. It actually is, it can only send data in one direction at a time. So I don't know if you've ever done this where you've copied from a device and wrote to it at the same time. <laughs> It'll cut your transfer speed in half because now it can only move files at 250 megabytes per second. In fact, making it almost slower than like some of the newer USB 3.1 thumb drives. <laughs> <laughs> That's so crazy. It's an out, It's a completely outdated interface. Yeah, like, yeah. And the, and the, you, you need cables in your case for your storage. It's so yeah. annoying. Like just, just yeah. from that, just from a, from a, a building usability standpoint, SATA is a, a pain. 
Yeah. Lawyer Lavo Giasson, I don't know how to say that last name there, says, Hi, Tom and David. Hope you guys are doing well. Starting the year, do you guys anticipate such shortages in graphics cards at launch relating to this? Don't you guys think it's funny how buying a 2070 Super or 5700 XT at what seemed like a high price with the COVID tax earlier this year? Might have been the best decision in hindsight, despite most enthusiasts telling everyone over spring and summer to wait until RDNA 2 and Ampere come out. Um, well, I th- well, I think I would say, yes, it is funny, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, although unfortunate. Um, I'll, I'll, and no, I didn't predict there'd be a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> and number three, though, I would say just depends, though. I think if you sold a 2080 Ti for $1,200, that was still a good decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know. Let me see. Does he have another real question here? Oh, okay. So here, but in terms of the enjoyment, such a practice can provide over such a long period of time, even if it's not the latest and greatest, in my opinion. This is especially relevant since most people can't get their hands on the newer cards because of supply chain slowdown, scalpers, bots. The bots are a nightmare right now, and for mm-hmm. scarcity, all of which make the extra time you have to enjoy your product if you bought it back then even more worth it. I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, the last thing I would add to that question is. I always said to people too, like, well, are you going to use this right now? Mm-hmm. Like, if you, like, if, look, I don't know what your job is. I don't know what you're doing. If you have a 2080 Ti and this summer is the only time you're going to have to game this year, maybe mm-hmm. you keep it. Yeah. You know? But I don't know. What do you think about those thoughts he sent us? Yeah. I, I think it's again one of those things that's so case dependent. It, it depends so much on you. Like, if you didn't have a PC, and you were you were wait you know for for some reason you didn't have access to a gaming system and you were waiting for uh, the next generation of hardware to come out to buy a computer and in the meantime you just have nothing. I I, I agree with uh, Liore here. Did, did I pronounce that correctly? Sorry. Um, that if you bought a GPU or a system back then, you you mm-hmm. it was a really good decision because there's always going to be something better around the corner. If you need a PC at that time, don't necessarily wait, buy the stuff, and then mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Um, because a 2070 Super or a 5700 XT, is, they're, they're amazing cards. Like The fact that there's better value for money out there <laughs> uh, doesn't make them irrelevant as far as products go. Um, so I very much agree with that standpoint. But if you already had like... Even something like mm. a like a 980 Ti, or you had an older system, right? Then, yeah, it wait like wait wait as long as it and takes. You see, that's the counter argument I would make, right? Is mm. it's like I think you can always cherry pick, mm. right? You could say, oh, if I bought a 2080 for eight hundred dollars mm. in June, you can't get anything now. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, but didn't you already have a 980 Ti? Yeah, like I could make the uh, prices might be better in. February, who knows? Mm. Maybe they will already be better in February or March. And then if you waited for a $600 or whatever it ends up being right, $6,800, you'll probably be very happy you didn't buy that 2080. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But so the thing is, I think it's also important that once you take the plunge, once you actually buy the product and you whatever the reasoning is in your head, I think try and ignore as much as possible what's happening after that and around that. Because at the end of the day, the thing that you have, if it does mm. what you need it to do, it's and, and you were happy paying the amount that you paid for it, it doesn't matter that five months down the line there was something better out because, you know, the thing still does the thing that you need the thing to do. So it's, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, and I think, 
And I think, yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, I think that's a good point too. Of like, and if you already had a 980 Ti, just as the example, mm. what game were you playing that wasn't running well? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's still a pretty decent card, and it overclocked like crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, it depends why you were upgrading. Were mm. you doing it because you just needed it right then and there? I mean, there was one time my laptop just straight up disappeared, mm. and it was a month before I had to go to the Hot Chips conference, oh. and I was like, guess I'm buying the same laptop again. This sucks. Yeah, and. Do I regret it? I don't know. I needed a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but would I have regretted it if I bought a laptop right before Renoir came out and I didn't really need it? If, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aiden writes and says, hi, da- I said, David. He says, David. His name's David. Aiden. <laughs> you pronounce it really David well, and- actually. Like, you, you're, you <laughs> so, can you say it again? David or David. I just said both. Yeah, you, you you say my name surprisingly well. Like well, I got it wrong last time, so I never forgot. Yeah, you 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 nailed it. That's I'm I'm impressed. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Carry on. No, yeah, but so Aiden asked this question is regarding the release of new AMD products for the last quarter of this year in 2020. Do you think it was possible for them to release new products like Zen three processors earlier, so the shortage situation should would have been less bad? due to the stack product launches towards the end of the year. Love and appreciate the work you guys do regarding your analysis of the semiconductor industry as a whole. So I'm just going to say this. AMD buys availability on the of TSMC wafers years ahead of time. Like you're already seeing articles come out, a, Apple books three nanometer allocations <laughs> at, you see this in the news yeah. all the time. So AMD couldn't plan for any of this. They just knew this is how many cards they could make. And that's why there's going to be a shortage for a while as they are, I'm told, actually increasing, shifting some of their capacity over to RDNA 2 because it actually does have very high margins for an AMD card and they do have an opportunity to take market share. But they're not going to be ready till early next year, guys. It, it, you know, They didn't know Ampere was going to be not as strong as they thought it would be, nor the shipping issues, nor that Apple would buy every airplane on Earth, apparently. <laughs> um, you know, They didn't know this was going to happen. I don't think there's anything they could have done with Zen 3. Launching it sooner, mm. they launched it when it was ready. I mean... Mm. And and I watched a I watched a, a a stream where Steve from Gamers Nexus was busy talking about this, and he said, you know, people mm, often yeah. say like delay. De- why didn't they delay it? Maybe then they could build up stock. But the problem is they put so much money into developing these architectures that it doesn't make much sense for a company to delay a product that's only going to be relevant for like a year and a half or whatever. Yes, because they put so much money into it. it it, it's not as simple as that. Um, so yeah, I, I think like you said, it's so difficult for them to do anything about it, to like change it. It's. Yeah. But I've seen those comments too. I've seen people say, I wish AMD wouldn't have even launched it yet. And I'm like, why? You wouldn't have gotten it either way. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, like it's like, you're, look, I know everyone's frustrated, a lot, not everyone. I know a lot of people are frustrated, but your solution didn't solve the problem. It just made it so you still didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and that was something I talked to Paul about. He, he's made a lot of videos yelling at like this shortages in Europe. And it's just like, but then I asked him, so should they have pushed back the launch? And he goes, no. Well, then, okay. Well, then why are we yelling? Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, and I think you look at, and it's something I would actually somewhat disagree. I think because Sony launched the PS5, I believe, in America and Japan first. And then they launched it two weeks later, at least in some European countries. So I know someone in Spain that my editor's in Spain and he said it launched later. I do think AMD should have launched, just had the official launch date of RDNA 2 been January or something in Europe. I actually do. Oh, okay. Because 
And, and the reason is this, from what I've heard, a lot of distributors in Europe just got a bunch of people who placed orders and they have like 20,000 back orders <laughs> and they don't, they can't tell people when it'll be filled and they have to like, you know, send the money back across their credit cards. Mm-hmm. And I'd go, you know what? I will say this with console launches, they could pretend it's a global launch and have spotty coverage in some regions. But instead, Microsoft and Sony just say launches in Europe later. Mm-hmm. I think maybe AMD and NVIDIA should start doing that. I will say that because every launch is, is like <laughs> nothing in Europe for the first month. Yeah, yeah. That's like, so you might as well, right? I, yeah, I don't know. yeah. I, I actually think I um, the, the, there was a bunch of camera launches that happened this year as well. So like Canon launched the whole new lineup and Sony launched really exciting cameras. And I really like the way that those companies handled these launches because instead of having these like really crazy launch periods where, you know, the, 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 the day the reviews go live, the product mm. kind of goes li- like kind of becomes available and then you have to like pre-order then and stuff. It's, it's, it's all a bit weird. But with the, what the camera companies did is they kind of staggered the launch in that the first thing that happened after the announcement is they had the reviews go live. So they had the, mm. they sent the products out to people, people did reviews on it, and then they would uh, launch their coverage on a date. And then two weeks after that, they'd open pre-orders. And then the pre-orders would ship two weeks after the pre-order start date. So that they, and, and, they did, and that meant that they didn't have an issue with scalpers and bots and stuff with these cameras because they had a period to like, sort out what was happening, what are legitimate pre-orders mm-hmm. and what aren't. And people are pre-ordering after seeing actual reviews of the products. So they can make an informed decision on the product that they're, that they're ordering. And the fact that they didn't have many in the first day of when the pre-orders were supposed to arrive wasn't a huge deal because you know that you were on a waiting list and everything was being handled fairly. So there wasn't outrage in the community about, oh, I couldn't get my products because... Of, yeah. of how they handled it. So I think that I, is quite a good way to go about it, potentially, um, for like GPU manufacturers, because then... Yeah. Yeah. Well, then it's always like, I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand what's so hard. Just make it like a grabbing a ticket in line. Yeah. Whether it's a console or these graphics cards, go to their website, put down your credit card, and you have to pay up front maybe, and they're just like, you're 10,000th in line, we mm. estimate you'll get it in a month. Mm some websites do that, but it's not uniform. And so bots can just go rampant and no one knows really. And no one, and I, and, and I have to do this. Like you'll see people on like Reddit, like when does it go live on Newegg? Is it at 9am or 8am? And it's like, this is a ridiculous system yeah. where no one's actually sure when it even goes live on Newegg and you have to, it has to spread by word of mouth. Like this doesn't make any sense. Mm. Like when you pre-order a video game, you place a pre-order and you don't worry about it anymore. Yeah. I don't understand what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think maybe that's a potential solution to the issue is just stagger it better and then communicate clearly what's happening so that people, people, people know what to expect because that's also part of what angers people so much is that ambiguity, you know? Yeah. Brian Scanlon writes in and says, given the slow pace of innovation, I had, per- well, I don't know if it's slow anymore, because <laughs> I had personally high demand for both Zen 3 and RDNA 2. Right. 
two, given normal seasonal demand. I can't help but think that launching major products in quarter four of any normal year is a bad idea because supply is at its lowest until production fully ramps up. It creates insatiable shortages, which he puts in quotes because you're not even sure if there is a shortage mm-hmm. or if it's just the demand's absurd, mm-hmm. um, which allows for scalping and pricing to sustain far above MSRP versus launching closer to the middle of the year, which gives more room to ramp. With everything else going on, the obviously has compounded the problem. Ultimately, this will be the first time when it happens in a long time that I'm going all AMV and I'm looking forward to it. Also, I just want to say this is my favorite channel. I really like the community here. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Brian. You know, I think, yeah, but when did Zen 2 come out, guys? Summer. Mm-hmm. They're launching these as soon as they can. I just think this year's, you know, that that's true. What's compounding the problems this year, too, is so many of the new launches are in November. Yeah. And, and they weren't previous. Was I think Zen Plus came out early. No, no way. Yeah. It, no, I think it, I, I don't remember when it came out. I think Zen 1 was early 2017. I think it was pretty early 2017. And Zen 2 is definitely in like June. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this idea of like everyone's trying to launch in quarter four. I don't think they are. <laughs> I think this is just what's happened this year. And in fact, by the way, there were a lot of rumors that Microsoft was considering launching in like October. I bet they wish they could have <laughs> the, the Xbox. They just yeah. couldn't because, you know, this whole ending of the world and, you know, mm. mass death yeah. across all continents. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you guys, I don't think they plan to launch in quarter four. I think these companies are just like stumbling over mm. the road and trying desperately to make sure anything they plan to launch this year actually does launch. Yeah. And it, it's such an extreme circumstance. Like this is, the, the, there hasn't really been something like this before where there's basically just been a complete shutdown of like production for, for ages due, due to a global event like this. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess that's just, again, what I would emphasize. I think I think they launch things when they think it's best and they don't always pick quarter four. It's mm-hmm. just this year. This year really was the perfect storm, wasn't it? Then yeah. pandemic, everything was launching in quarter four instead of quarter two or quarter three. Um, everyone's stuck inside because of the pandemic. So not only are there mm-hmm. shipping problems and production problems, but everyone wants to buy the stuff you use inside. Yeah, yeah It's it's just, yeah, <laughs> it sucks, guys. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Luis Correa writes in and says, should AMD, Intel, and NVIDIA be worried about the rise and popularity of Apple's custom ARM processors? Well, I don't know if they're popular yet. They just came out. But he goes, I know they hardly compete right now in raw performance, at least in multi-threaded, but Apple locking on newer process nodes from TSMC sooner than everyone else and their custom coprocessors, I think it's only a matter of time, maybe, before their ARM processors catch up in CPU performance and a bit more catch up in G- mobile GPU, plus the excellent battery. Yeah, I think they, they it's like as strong as a 560 or like it's pretty yeah. <laughs> the new Apple. So I, I put this in here. I wasn't planning to have a giant discussion about it, but it is a big part of this year. Like I and I remember from the beginning of this year, the rumors that they were making their own chips. Yeah. It was a big part of this year. Like what 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 do you have to say, you know, about Apple's new APU and like this whole new like them going it on their own. Um, I'm I'm really excited about it. Actually, I think it's really interesting watching watching the performance reviews of like the the new the new Mac Mini, for example. It's it's amazing what they did with the TDP that they they kind of the TDP targets that they set for these products, and like Apple is famous for or like one of their one of their party tricks is crazy optimization. You know, with mm. the smartphone just battles over the last decade, basically. Apple's like iPhones never compare on paper 
nearly as well to the to the like Android alternative. You know, they they always have less RAM and they have like slower seeming yeah. parts in them. But they they're just so snappy and they work so well and they run everything just better. Um, so I arguably, <laughs> but yeah so, yeah. so I think that like the combination of that optimization with this highly efficient new ARM 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 process, oh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really interesting. And you know, I'm not willing to bet that this is the start of Apple. You know, like I don't know how big it will get. Is this their first generation? Who knows how fast they will innovate with succeeding mm-hmm. generations? But you know, I'm looking at right now. Apple is a two trillion dollar <laughs> company. Not only are they designing their own chips, but they're designing their own chips, and they can then write the operating system yeah. around a few specific chips. Yeah. So the optimizations—it's like console level mm-hmm. to the metal, like levels of optimizations, and it's even built around. Like even they're like they're they can even literally build the processor to use their their stuff. It's not even just to the metal. Mm-hmm. It's that the metal is built to the operating. Like yeah. it's 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 pretty crazy. So and and I think with how much money they have to spend on optimizing every app for it, making sure everything's compatible. Yeah, I don't know. They are on. They I just you never know. They could be the next Intel. What happens if their CPUs get better and better? What happens if they start selling them in other products? Yeah, there's something to watch. Not mm. saying they will be that successful, but the, my take is, well, it's good to be skeptical, but I looked at the benchmarks. It's pretty nuts, guys, it, it's, what they've got it, going on here. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy, especially considering the TDP. Like, it, it's, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see what they do with it because uh, I, Linus Tech Tips did their review of it today. I think it went live. Mm-hmm. And they had a bunch of like, uh, so it's called Rosetta is like how they interface. And it's much more efficient than uh, Windows's alternative with like, because you have like Windows ARM devices that they, they have to like convert for the software to like read the, or for, for the ARM CPU to read the software or whatever. But the way that Apple's done it is just infinitely faster. Um, so even when it comes to non-ARM apt, uh, optimized software, it runs really well compared to uh, like Windows's alternative or whatever. So I think it's gonna. Well, and what I would say is that this is something I brought up in turn, you know, to to a couple people that are sources or just people in the industry. A lot, a lot less of this being like oh, like secret info, and more so just being, you know, what's your take? <laughs> on NVIDIA buying ARM. Yeah. You know, uh, is this going to be a problem for Apple? And I had multiple people say, you know, Apple's got a in-perpetuity license to ARM architectures and IP up to like a certain level. Okay. And that Apple said that's all they'll ever need. Apple does not see this as an ARM CPU. They see this as the first generation of the Apple architecture that's based on ARM. They can do whatever they want with it from now on. And they're a $2 trillion company. So if it starts to have more and more differences from ARM, they'll be like, we'll hire more programmers. Don't worry. So I think that's worth pointing out too, is just like when you see it outperform like ARM on other products, Mm -hmm. it's because, well, they don't see it as ARM and they have $2 trillion to spend optimizing Mm -hmm. for it. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely going to be a huge factor going, going forward. All right, so I just added David does tech stuff to the description in my notes so that people know where to find you. But is there anything else 
Like I'm looking over like my videos. I mean, we talked about Ampere. We talked about RDNA 2. We talked about the consoles, Zen 3, Comet Lake, Tiger Lake, Renoir. Oh, I think I said Renoir twice. What, <laughs> w- w- is there anything else that, you know, you wrote down or, in, you know, that you want to talk about from this year that's interesting? Because you're the main person in this series for talking about the majority <laughs> of the year. Um. No, I, I think we covered it. You can really, say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I think we've covered it really well. Like a, a lot of the questions were really good and very interesting. Um, so there's there's not really much more to add. Just that it's going to be so exciting to see what happens next year because you know the, the, there's yeah the technology industry is just it's on fire at the moment, uh, and I can't wait to see where where it goes. Well, yeah. I guess this is one final question I will ask you then. Looking towards 2021, do you think it's going to be less or more interesting than this year with the product releases? And so that is Intel Alder Lake, Rocket Lake, um, RDNA 3 may get a paper launch, and so may Zen 4. Although I think Zen 4 is more and more looking like 2022, to be honest. Okay. okay. I think Zen 3 Plus is a thing, though. Oh, okay. Oh, this is, so they'll, they'll like do like an XT equivalent refresh? or So... It it could from what I've heard is it actually could be five nanometer Zen three with a seven nanometer IO die okay. using DDR five. So it actually okay. might be more of a plus than Zen one plus was. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So it's not just going to be like a oh. on AM five too. I think it might be the launch of AM five with oh. Zen three again, guys. Not a hundred percent confirmed, <laughs> but the evidence to me suggests they have a Zen three plus with DDR five on AM five coming out next year. And that, yeah, they'll just use five nanometer and a seven nanometer IO die for the newest IO. So it'll kind of be like a stepping stone to Zen 4. Like, so I think that's probably coming next year. Certainly that's coming in APUs for laptops too. That, that'll be really cool. That, that's, that's a really exciting development. Actually moving a, like the first jump from AM4 since Ryzen drop. I think that's going to be awesome. Um, but to answer your, your previous question, I, I do think that next year is going to be more exciting because... At this point, all of these big jumps that we've seen, we've seen the high-end versions of it. And it's the versions that, like, that's not what people consume mostly. Like, I'm really excited to see what, like, the lower end of RDNA 2 and Ampere is going to look like and what the Zen 3, you know, like, the low-end Zen 3 CPUs are going to be. Like, I, that's the part that I find the most interesting and the most exciting because that's what people buy, you know? Um, and I, I can't wait to see that stuff. Yeah, I think Navi 22 could end up being, I mean, the 3060 Ti is pretty cool, you know, $400, kind of, not really, is anything really the MSRP? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like 10% weaker than the 3070 uh, for, for less money, mm-hmm. you know, and I think once you get down to that level of performance, eight gigabytes is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, Again, once you get closer to 400, it's like, sure, eight gigabytes, whatever, who cares? Um, but I, I think it's competition, Navi 22 with 12 gigabytes of RAM. I think that's going to be, I mean, think about what it could do. Like, it's going to be like only 40 compute units with 12 gigabytes of RAM. That's a 1440p monster. Mm. Um, and I think Navi 23, by most accounts, is actually 32 compute units, which is really close to 40, but it lacks infinity cache. Okay. So 
but it doesn't need an extra bandwidth. Mm. It'll just be a 1080p, 144, or who knows? Like, think about that 32 compute units, so almost as many as the 5700, but clocked like 50% faster. Yep. That could be like a 1080p high refresh. Mm. Just, it could be insane, you know? And and think that will probably have 75-watt variants in laptops. And then how much, how, what kind of price point are they looking at for that? <laughs> well, <laughs> is any price real? Honestly, you know, at this point, I think a large part of it is AMD is charging what they think they can charge against mm-hmm. NVIDIA. Again, right, the PS5 has 40 compute units at 2.2 gigahertz, uses 200 watts. The Xbox fits 52 compute units and 200 watts. So, you know, like, I, I think, what do you think they can do with, like, 24 compute units in an APU and a laptop on 5 mm-hmm. nanometer? Yeah. Uh, I think you're looking at probably Xbox Series S performance in Thin laptops late next year. So yeah, well, that would be that would be really awesome. That, that would be really cool. Um, and I also want a replacement for the RX 580. That price point needs <laughs> that price point needs an update. We need Polaris to be dethroned. Well, I think a big problem with that is 16 nanometer wafers cost like I think three thousand dollars right now. Right. And they can make probably, I don't, do not quote me guys, probably like a hundred cards or 200 cards off of that or something. Uh, maybe it's less. It's probably, I probably put in a com- completely incorrect number, but the point is the wafer cost, mm. like 3,000 per wafer. Seven nanometer is about 9,000 as of this month, I think, 9,000 per wafer. So actually, the wafer cost isn't that much. You're talking about spending $50 for the die versus $20. Okay. $30 more. But then you're also, it's like, we're kind of been stuck with GDDR5 mm. on these low-end cards. GDDR5 is like $4 a gigabyte. GDDR6 is like 8 or 6 or 7 So you're not really saving that much money. The problem becomes when you have a $50 die, a $40 PCB, we're already up to 90 Now, yeah, 4 gigabytes isn't enough. Mm. It's kind of really hard. And then you add a $40 cooler. It's kind of hard to make any gra- discrete graphics card for less than 200 these yeah, days. Yeah. And so I don't know if we're ever going to dethrone Polaris until you can, <laughs> until DDR5 comes out and they can start putting that on stuff. Like, cause I really don't know. I don't know. I think APUs are just going to more and more be what you should expect for a hundred mm. bucks. And it's just this awkward period where if you want a $100 graphics card, check the used market. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Not now, apparently, though. Yeah, yeah. At the moment, even used is difficult. Yeah, that's that's actually an interesting like to to have the the parts breakdown and cost like that is really interesting because it does it does so clearly highlight how difficult it is and how amazing yeah. Polaris has been and why it still is in the position that it's in because it's yeah it's not it's not cost effective to do anything more powerful. Well, and I and I think it's it's worth talking about how Polaris was designed from the beginning to possibly last for five years. Mm. Same with Vega, by the way, because AMD stock price when Polaris was being designed was about $3. It's now like almost 100 I think. Yeah. Um, so you have to remember, again, people talk about, ooh, things were really scary for AMD in 2015. And in hindsight, we can say, double thumbs up, they're <laughs> doing great. But that's only in hindsight. Mm. Really, guys, they almost... I just had an investor on about a month ago who was talking about it. He's like, no, they almost went out of business. You. Like, No, really, they almost went out of business, guys. So they designed Polaris to be cheap and easy to spit out possibly for 10 years. Yep. And, and so it's hard for them to compete with a card that was designed in times of scarcity. Like, how mm. do you... Mm. How do you compete with something that was always designed to be cheap to make? And also, I think five nanometer is fourteen to sixteen thousand dollars a wafer. So, 
again, you're, it, you can fit twice as many transistors. Well, not really, like 50% more transistors in the same space. So it's not exactly twice as expensive, but eh. mm-hmm. I don't know that they're going to be making that many cheap <laughs> five nanometer cards anytime soon. I think your best bet for them to ever make a cheap card is for them to eventually, if seven nanometer costs come down, which they probably never... Honestly, I don't know why they haven't done this. What they should do is they should make a 12 nanometer version of Vega 64 and stick eight gigabytes of GDR6 on it and spit those out for 150 or something or or a smaller version of that. Probably, you know, probably a smaller die version. Like just make a 256-bit, 3000 stream processor Vega card on 12 nanometer and just keep shoving them out. Like, because unless they split up their allocations to global foundries, they're just going to keep competing with everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants TSMC's notes, even their older ones. So... I guess that's your, I guess I'm saying don't 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 bet on a Polaris being the throne. That's so Although disappointing. I, <laughs> I, that's my argument. I, if I'm wrong, I'll say it, but I've laid out my reasoning for it, you know. Mm. It makes sense and it's broken my heart, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's going to break your heart more when it when you realize like RX 480s are 4 years old mm. or they oh wait, they are 4 years yeah, old. When you yeah, realize they they're are. 5 years old and you just go uh they need to get Big Renoir out then, because that's got to be that's got to that's got to take up that part of the market, if you ask me. And that would be awesome if you can get if you can get APUs that can do that, that can genuinely compete at like 1080p high settings kind of situation. That would be that would be awesome. Right, and think about how like so, like I said, for a graphics card, it comes with the cooler, it comes mm-hmm. with the PCB. They got to do all this and that. They got to put RAM on it. When they ship a Renoir APU, it's a 150 millimeter squared die, so still smaller, I believe, than the 5700, the 5500 XT, or it's around the same size. But that's it; mm. they don't need to ship anything. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they can ship like a ten dollar cooler, mm. no RAM, no PCB. So there's room for APUs to yeah. just kind of occupy the 100 dollar price point pretty well, and I'm pretty sure Rembrandt goes up to 24 compute units. So okay. You know, late next year, maybe we won't care because you'll just be gaming and <laughs> gaming in 1440p with an APU anyways. Maybe not next year, maybe 2022. That, that would be really awesome. That, that, that's a nice consolation for the heartbreak around, <laughs> around but Polaris. There's just going to be these awkward periods, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, like the awkward periods of 2015 where it was like hard to tell someone to get a quad-core i5 <laughs> because you knew more cores were coming. Yeah. It's like, well, I know there's not a good answer besides buy Broadwell E, but <laughs> it is what it is, guys. Yeah. We're just about to go into a transition and this mm-hmm. happens. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. So I think uh, <laughs> that I took up enough of your time. Um, I really want to thank you for coming on for this end of year series. Um, ho- hopefully, we'll have time to speak again before another na- uh, another world-changing disaster has happened. We'll, yeah. we'll have a, a coup counter to see how many attempted coups there are across <laughs> yeah. the globe while we wait for the next one. Um, it would actually be funny if like, we talked in like July next year and we're like, so it was five coups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> five coups in only five or six months. It's, it's the, the rate's increasing. Not one per month. It's been a good time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why don't, you, why don't you plug yourself one more time so everyone knows where to find you? Oh, um, my channel's called David Does Tech Stuff, and I do things with tech stuff. <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah. You do a lot of fun things where it's like, 
Why is anyone buying this? Is this actually a good idea? Which it's it's so it's so needed because you don't need everyone. I don't I don't think you don't need a hundred channels benchmarking the same thing. Yeah, it's better if you just like have a few channels or hopefully more than a few pointing out things no one else has time to point out. You know, because we can't be expected to do that until we get a million subscribers. I'm not sure when that's happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And but you can help him get to a million if you go to his channel and subscribe, everybody. So oh, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So thanks for coming on. Um, I hope you're having a good holiday season and uh, thank you everyone for listening. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Law's Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Telos, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim Bollocks, Joshua Alvin, Muhammad Alkawari, Frederick Loud, James Crasset, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil F., Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSBCFS, Chrysantine, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy D. Saru, Daniel High, D. Kunky, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Isaiah Gosner, Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exodi, Hector Santana, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jan Rauner, Rubber Duck, Street of Full, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Sean Grant, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Soul Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Cyan Nora, Elena, Joshua Stavnis, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Feldas, Carnivore Bear, Macdo 226, Saber Z Birds, Licky. Man Berzegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garanadin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Joaquin Hagen, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loria, Carl Marco, Deke, 
Jeezy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Master Andy Wan, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Chris Williams, Ryan Deniskew, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Miss Sears, Paul Bogdan, Morton Spenson, Andrew Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Mose from Oz, My Sharona, Derek File, Roman, Jacob Stankiewicz, Jake Pym, Wakir Khan, JBG, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Charles Antoine Futo, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, James Kitchens, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Dean Dispotsky, Paul J., My Name is Nobody, Ruben Marr, Luis Correa, John Jamison, Eshel, Dar Epstein, Luca, Anders, Bourbon, Matthew Lazier, Tim Robbins, Hardforum.com, Susanna Maria, Stu, Dystopia, Arpit Sharma, and of course, thank you to Zahara for the music. 